Hi. Um, can everyone tell me if I'm live and how my audio is? Um, so welcome to the news. Uh, Armin is having issues with his internet today. So um, hopefully that gets resolved soon. And he will join me as soon as that gets fixed. Um, so until then, uh, please like this stream, subscribe. Uh, this is the, sh the show where we cover the news and we talk about stuff that is generally religiously related or uh, secular issues. Or sometimes we, you know, talk about a story and we're like, maybe it wasn't actually related to those things, you know, but we're here to have a conversation and uh, I'll be looking forward to hearing a lot more and being able to engage with more of your guys' commentary um, since I am temporarily without a co-host. <laughs> um, so please be a little patient with me today. I have a lot of stuff I have to manage on different tabs and different screens. Um but let's get into it. Um, so first news. Mexico decriminalizes abortion. On September 7th, Mexico's Supreme Court ruled that a statute requiring a three-year prison sentence for women who get abortions was unconstitutional. The ruling marks a new precedent for the Mexican legal system and is binding upon other states with ha which have not yet legalized abortion. Women's rights activists in Mexico called the ruling a watershed moment. While this does not mean that abortion is decriminalized, that's a very important distinction, it is not yet fully legal in Mexico and access to um. Wait, so well, it does mean that abortion is decriminalized, it is not yet fully legal in Mexico, and access to care remains a major issue. With nearly 100 million practicing Catholics, there was a great deal of backlash from the religious community. The National Action Party, an ultra-right-wing political party, condemns the court's decision, claiming they will defend, quote, life from the moment of conception until natural death end quote. Um, so this is one of those news stories that isn't um, like directly religiously related, but it's something I wanted to make sure to cover um, because it um, is obviously an issue that's very much in the news right now um, in terms of reproductive rights, particularly in regard to um, Texas's ban on abortions after six weeks or as soon as a fetal heartbeat is detected. So that's not technically making it illegal full full scale in Texas. Like technically it is before that point, but most many women don't even know that they're pregnant at the point that it becomes illegal. Um, and um, it, uh, the, what was I trying to say? It's it's important to cover these issues because a lot of the contention surrounding it is obviously very religiously motivated. Um, when I was studying for this news, I was um, actually surprised to learn that Mexico has the second largest population of um, Catholics in the world, only um, seconded by Brazil, actually. 
And um, with such a strong Roman Catholic um, community and the power that that church has over the community, this is obviously very contentious. Something along the lines of like, I think three quarters of the country is Catholic. And, um, but some articles and analysts I was reading were saying that because of such widespread um, sexual abuse or the scandals surrounding it uh, in the country, but also just in general, um, the there's been a diminishing uh, power of the church over Mexico. And I've seen some reports saying that people are leaving or becoming more religious at um, rates faster than we've ever seen before. Like the non-religious population of Mexico is growing rapidly. So that's something I really look forward to because Mexico is ostensibly a secular state. And so of course that needs to be protected. That secularism needs to be protected. Um, Mustafa is saying, I think Mexico wants the Colorado effect when this one thing is legally more accessible, more tourism by neighbors, I should add. Oh, so what Mustafa is getting at is when Colorado legalized, um, marijuana, um, it's become a huge tourist industry. Um, and they're actually, I wasn't able to get into digging. I have seen news articles talking about the possibility of women in Texas to go to Mexico for these procedures. Um, I actually can't give you an answer on how feasible that is because, of course, under Texas law, anyone who aids and abets that process can still be sued. So that would still be a huge issue unless you do it like completely um, under the radar which I would imagine would be somewhat difficult. And even though this is decriminalized in Mexico, that doesn't mean that it's fully legal, right? So it wouldn't necessarily be like a legal tourist industry, right? Um, and not only is it not legal in many places, well, now it's, yeah, it's not, it's decriminalized, not legal. So even with this contention, um, it's not actually accessible in many states across Mexico. And off the top of my head, I don't know if this Mexican states that are right along the border are the states where you have higher access versus um, lesser access. Because presumably someone's not trying to go all the way to southern Mexico to get this procedure if they can avoid it, right? They'd want to just go hop across to TJ or something. Uh, Tijuana, uh, for those who aren't familiar. Um... Do you guys have any other uh, commentary on this news or thoughts on it uh, besides just uh, pointing out that I've taken over? <laughs> um, I saw a comment from Ghost Bunny. Ghost Bunny is saying, good, Mexico is decriminalizing while Texas is trying to make it illegal. Why do I feel like the U.S. is heading backwards? Well, part of the problem is, is that, you know, of course... They've specifically construct. Actually, I'm going to get into this in the next news, um, but it's constructed in a way that makes the judicial review of the um, this new SB8 Texas bill um, very difficult to challenge legally. Um, and there are at least seven states that are considering copying it. 
So they've tried to find a way where legally they can completely just hollow out Roe v. Wade while still technically having Roe v. Wade be, I guess, a federal mandate. That might not be the correct legal language. Um, but uh, still, uh, they're trying to find as many ways as possible to still get what they want while uh, Roe v. Wade is technically in effect. So with if Texas is um, successful in protecting this provision that they passed, um, there are several states in the country that would be heading backwards for sure. Um, I'm not a legal expert, but my understanding is that at this point it would become very much a state's rights issue. So there'd be certain states where you can get this sort of medical care, um, but uh, other ones where you couldn't. I know that if there were states, if, if somehow Roe v. Wade was flat out overturned, as opposed to just hollowed out to be a shell of its former self, if it was somehow overturned, there are many states across the country where they have like extreme abortion provisions, anti-abortion provisions already on the books. So in the case that it was straight up overturned, um, there'd be really draconian laws already there because technically those laws are on the book now, but there's, you know, this federal precedent, which makes them invalid. But if that federal precedent was to ever get overturned, suddenly these would come roaring back into effect. And um, I would remind you guys to take all that um, with a grain of salt because my understanding might not be uh, completely correct. Um, and Mustafa is saying, by the way, I proposed a question way back regarding the U.S. slowly turning into theocracy. Any takebacks? No, I don't take it back. Um, whether there are certain states that want to um, turn into their own mini theocracies is kind of like a different question. And the real problem is um, the attitude of the Supreme Court. So I would really um, suggest you guys go listen to an episode of Secular Jihadists for the Middle East from Mus for Muslim Enlightenment that I just did with Ali Rizvi as a co-host. And we had... Um, the, our guest was Andrew Seidel, who is the Director of Strategic Legal Affairs or something like that um, at the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And he, we talk about his position that Roe v. Wade is dead, and he contends that they're going to come for um, contraception as a whole next. And um, his view is that in terms of turning into a theocracy, a real problem is the power that the Supreme Court has and um, how they are um, so willing to hold inconsistent standards um, and therefore demonstrate Christian privilege. So um, that's the real problem here is, is this... Um, pretty overt effort to privilege Christian ideology. Um, but go listen to that episode. I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, Steven on LinkedIn, guys, we're streaming on LinkedIn, said, well, we need to talk about Mexico in comparison to the U.S. protocol and procedure, as well as rights and freedom of choice. Yes, we need to discuss human rights in this regard. Um, 
I'm not 100% sure what you're getting at here, but I do believe that um, reproductive health access is um, a human right. It's extremely important for women at large, um, particularly in regard to just like birth control. Um, this is something that's impacted my life because birth control is prescribed to many women for things outside of actually controlling or preventing pregnancy. Um, it's prescribed to women who have a whole host of um, pelvic pain or hormonal uh, disorders or problems. And so um, the idea that some people just want to fully outright just get rid of all birth control is terrifying to me because there's so many people who actually depend on that for medical care outside of preventing pregnancies. Not that there's anything wrong with using it to prevent pregnancies, but um, it, it's shocking to me how limited some people's scope or idea of what these drugs are or can be used for is. It does a huge disservice to millions of people. Um, AGA is asking, does this law go against women who leave the state for abortion? Um, are you talking about the Texas provision? So anyone, not even Texans, can um, sue, I believe, any Texan, because they are with, within the jurisdiction of the state, this is my understanding, it could be wrong, um, who aids and abets. So it's not even specifically the woman who's getting it. It's you can go after anyone who is aiding the process. So this could even be like someone who goes with you to hold your hand during the procedure to all the way to someone who drove you in a car to get the procedure to the actual provider of the procedure itself. Um, and there's in, in the process of anyone, you know, getting an abortion, it could be the receptionist who picks up a phone, you know, to schedule an appointment. Um, you know, there could be dozens of people who are involved with any one procedure potentially. Um, let's see what else you guys are talking about. Um, I didn't even realize that abortion was criminalized in Mexico. Oh yeah. It was very intense. Um, uh, let me find this. It, it's let me find um, a quote about exactly what the precedent was before this. Um, give me one moment. Four of Mexico's 32 federal entities have broadly legalized the procedure. So previous, so the places where it is legal is Oaxaca, Veracruz, uh, Hidalgo, and of course, Mexico City. Uh, and uh, abortion has also been available to women who came be, uh, who became pregnant through uh, RAPE. I'm not saying that because of the YouTube algorithm. Um, there was one state where actually, even in the case of RAPE, um, it wasn't allowed, which is shocking to me. Um, I mean, but that's the case in Texas now as well, which is terrifying, um, which is actually a harsher penalty than um, or harsher restriction than actually Saudi Arabia. Fun fact, um, even like like really, you know, harsh Islamic countries that people 
uh, have, you know, the very restrictive worldview or perception of like they give um, exceptions for RAP and incest. So yikes. Um, uh, Let's see what else you guys are talking about. Insane secularity saying, yes, it could be the Uber driver, even if the driver doesn't know. In Texas, yes, that's um, a huge problem. But Lyft and Uber have said that they are going to completely cover any legal expenses incurred by any drivers um, of their, their, their independent contractors. So that's some good news. Um, cool. So let's move to the next news. One moment. Okay. We're staying on the abortion path for a little while. And uh, we are... Oh, shoot. That's not what I wanted to close. <laughs> and we're going to talk about a really cool organization that I think you guys all know, love, and appreciate. Okay. Whoops. Wait, this comment. Okay. There we go. Uh, next news. The Satanic Temple's plan to challenge Texas's abortion ban. Yeah. So many of you guys are familiar with the Satanic Temple. Um, and they have become famous of, um, since their inception for um, using their religious uh, organization status to help fight for reproductive rights. It's a very creative solution uh, towards this problem and for um, fighting for secularism in uh, public institutions and schools, uh, etc. So the Satanic Temple, or TST, a non-theistic religious and human rights group is planning to use its status as a religious entity to outsmart Texas's anti-abortion law. The organization plans to use the terminology in the state's bill against itself. The plan is to offer anyone who wishes to have an abortion can take abortion drugs as part of the satanic abortion ritual as an act that is mo motivated by sincere religious belief. The first step is for the TST to send a letter to the FDA seeking unrestricted access to abortion-inducing drugs, quote, without being subjected to the agency's regulations, end quote. There's precedent for this in the state in the form of indigenous Americans being allowed the use of peyote for their religious rituals. So the Satanic Temple hopes to utilize this loophole in order to address the problem of access. So let me break this down for you guys. Um, basically, um, oh my God. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys miss me? Yes! <laughs> Sorry, my connection was... Oh, you missed me. <laughs> Sorry, my connection was... Uh, went out. Anyways. <laughs> oh, look, she's so excited to see me. I like this. This is so sweet. <laughs> We're talking about abortion. Oh, okay. So I shouldn't... 
You sure, like abortion. Sure. You can smile at this. Oh, wait. Yes, yes, yes. No, we're talking about women's rights. And well, it's, this was going in the wrong direction. So I don't know if I could smile. Anyways. No, but this that. is how we're going to, this is how we're going to not accept what Texas is doing. This is how we're fighting back. We can smile. Well, not okay, we. Sure. It's the satanic temple. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right sure 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 hold on let me actually do you want to share your screen or do you want me to uh pick it up from here to share G can you give me yeah, a few minutes please. how about you continue how about you continue talking while i go while i grab all the news just a second okay you continue just yeah. give me a little bit okay. okay so what i was talking about was um kind of explaining and breaking down how the satanic temple um is planning to uh find a religious uh, exemption loophole from the uh, SB8 uh, anti-abortion provisions. So basically, they're stating that there is precedent in the legal system that um, if you are a religious organization under the Texas Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which defines the free exercise of religion as, quote, an act or refusal to act that is substantially motivated by sincere religious belief. So that's where that language comes from. Um, so this rest Religious Freedom Restoration Act um, also dictates that it is, quote, not necessary to determine if the actions or a decline to action is, quote, a central requirement of the person's sincere religious belief. Um, and what's so interesting is that this very definition of the free exercise of religion was fought for specifically by the current uh, governor, Governor Abbott, with the same legal gymnastics that the TST is now using to circumvent SB8. So partially um, this was created so that Native Americans um, can use peyote, which is a hallucinogenic, um, it has hallucinogenic properties to do their um, religious rites and rituals. And so the Satanic Temple is saying, okay, well, um, authority over one's own body is one of our religious beliefs. Therefore, we are very into abortion and re um, reproductive access. And so this is how we are going to um, use the language that is already in place in the state to provide access to our members. Specifically, um, they have information on their website about this, and um, I'm just going to read some of the language that they have. So, um, major announcement. Lawyers for the Satanic Temple sent a letter to the Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, to request that the, the, the TSC be able to access abortifacients, so that um, medication that you take early on in pregnancy that basically flush the... Um, what do you, embryo from the womb. I don't know the proper medical term, I'm going to be honest. Um, so without being subjected to the agency's regulations, normally access to uh, misoprostol, a first trimester abortifacient, requires a prescription. And uh, mifepristone, the second drug in the uh, medical abortion regimen, can only be attained through an approved prescriber and can only be dispensed in accordance with specific guidelines. However, TSD has requested that we can directly supply Satanists who wish to undergo an abortion with a religious context with in a religious context with these abortifacients. 
how this process will work. TSD has every desire to ensure the health and safety of its membership. The issue is with the government governmental control over whether TSD's membership can obtain access to these drugs. TSD's ritual requires a medical examination to determine whether there are contraindications to obtaining an abortion as defined by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists or the American Academy of Family Physicians. A Satanist then returns directly to TSD with a physician certification that there are no contraindications and TSD will directly supply the member with the abortifacients so that they can participate in the ritual. Uh, legal justification. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act was instigated and enacted to ensure Native Americans could be have unfettered access to peyote for their religious rituals. Consent with this purpose, uh, consistent with this purpose, TSD wants unfettered access to abortifacients for its religious use. Given that peyote is a scheduled one drug with no accepted medical use, TST's request for access to prescription drugs is even more reasonable. Uh, to be granted under federal law. So I thought this was a really interesting way to go about things. And when I was um, reading about this in the news, I was like, wait a second, how are they going to um, do this safely? Right. But I like how they specifically outlined that their religious ritual requires verification from a medical professional first that, um, that this is actually a safe ritual for you to undertake. Um, you talked to, you, uh, you interviewed recently, you and Ali Rizvi interviewed a constitutional lawyer, Andrew um, Tidal. Uh, no, wait, mm -hmm. is that his? Yeah, uh, on secular jihadist about, and you asked him specifically about this, um, on whether or not this tactic by the satanic temple is gonna work. Uh, do you remember, what his response was because I know I watched it. I forgot what his response was. His response was basically, um, to paraphrase, like you assume that the Supreme Court is consistent. You know, basically saying that they are full of Christian privilege, and the expectation that they would consistently apply their legal standards is not necessarily something that we can assume or take for granted in his opinion. So um, when I asked him that question, I don't think I asked him about the specifics of this ritual or the process with the FDA. I definitely didn't. Um, I think I was asking more broadly about using religious freedom exemption. And um, he was skeptical about if that would be effective, not necessarily because of the legal standing, but because of his perception of the overt Christian privilege that this um, Supreme Court is um, uh, willing to exert. Yes, the way, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I Do people, do we have to explain every time that this, I don't know if you decided to do that or not at the beginning, to explain that the satanic temple doesn't actually believe in Satan and uh, Satan and they're atheists. Um, yeah, I said that they're non-theistic. Non-theistic. Like, do we, like, I'm just hoping that most of our audience already knows this. Like, we have to, we don't have to explain that. By the way, there's, uh, guys, like, um, this, go watch the interview, go listen to the interview on uh, Secular Jihadists. Um, Susie and Ali Rizvi, 
Susanna Nali Rizvi basically uh, interviewed Andrew Seidel from the Freedom from Religion Foundation. He's a constitutional lawyer. And if you want to go, if you guys want to know more about this whole mess with uh, in Texas and the consequences of it and what this could lead lead to for the rest of the country, go li w listen to that interview. Just search for secular jihadists. Um, what, did, what should they search for? Secular jihadists? Uh, Roe Ro v. Wade is dead, question mark. Roe v. Wade is dead, question mark, secular jihadists, right? Um, and th this is a very, I think it's the, the best interview I listened to on the subject. So, and yeah. Oh, so thank you. Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Suze, you had some really good questions. That was really good. That was a very well done interview. Aww. So yeah, <laughs> go check that out. Um, all right. So. Oh, wait, I do want to share something else real quick. So yeah. I thought it was hilarious because I was poking around their website to read, you know, their own statements about this. And um, along with their major announcement of them writing the FDA to try to um, get this provision, they have a fundraiser that they've launched for their legal expenses. So if you guys are interested in this, they're trying to raise $200,000 to help really fight to get this process established. And this is possibly one of the best ways that women could mm. be able to actually still be provided with this healthcare if this is effective. But wow. I just had to say, this is so funny to me. So if you scroll down to the bottom of their page, it's uh, the satanic satanic temple.com slash pages slash RRR hyphen fundraiser at the very bottom, there's like where you donate and automatically <laughs> I love this. Uh, the automatic donation that just pulls up is six six. It's like sixty six. So it's the <laughs> <automatic> <laughs> it should have been sixty six dollars and six cents. That's yeah, an automatic be. suggested donation of sixty six dollars, and then so they have you know different buttons for like okay twenty five sixty six so two fifty, and then it's six hundred sixty six. God bless the satanic temple. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna make a donation of. Uh, $66.60. Actually, no, right. 69 cents. <laughs> um, oh, just because okay. <laughs> this is something that's uh, uh, important to me. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, suggesting that you guys do this, but, you know, do your own research. And if you feel so compelled, you can contribute as well. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I have a question for you to be able to because I wasn't at for at the beginning of this, like, but for any woman who wants to take get up, if this works, right, you have to be claiming that you're a Satanist to be able to take advantage of this. Like mm -hmm. if you want abortion, okay. This is, if this works, the Satanic temple is going to get a, like a flood of membership of women who want to get the abortion. The Satanist population of the country is going to explode. It's going to explode because people are like, okay, I have to convert to this so-called religion to be able to get religious privileges. This is fantastic. God, this is amazing. Interestingly enough, when uh, uh, Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, there was, an there was a big boost in people who joined the Satanic Temple explicitly mm -hmm. because they knew that they were going to that there was an agenda to come after Roe v. Wade and that this is one of the best options to protect that <laughs> access and freedom. That is amazing. God yeah. damn it. I, lo I love it. I love it. 
Um, they have awesome shirts too. I'm going to be honest. I'm like, I think I want this hail Satan shirt. <laughs> um, all right. Um, okay, cool, cool, cool guys go. Uh, yeah. And by the way, we, it's good that, uh, Susie was very careful to say, like, make sure you do some research because we don't want to say like, like, for example, Susie is personally deciding to support them financially, but like we don't take responsibility if you donate to it and then it ends up not working. Like we we didn't promise anything, right? Like we, we're just so this is your own personal decision. We're we're promoting it, but do your own due diligence. Actually, so I think we should say do your own due, due diligence because do your own research is something a lot of conspiracy, like it's so cringe now to say <laughs> do your own research, okay? Because so many conspiracy theories like do your research, do your research, and they have given a bad rep to the phrase True. do your own research. So Such from now shame. on, I'm going to say do your own due diligence. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just kind of emphasizing that that's something I'm undertaking yes. as an individual and private citizen and not from my um, position of authority of Atheist Republic. That's an important distinction I have to right. make. Right. This is, this is why you're the CEO. This is why but also, CEO. hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail, hail me. Hail yourself. Hail yourself! <laughs> Wait, is that a thing? Or did he just make that up? It's a thing from a podcast that I used to listen to. That's how they would end okay. it. That's pretty good. That's like a trinity. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it goes when I say, like, like OMG, oh like, God. educate it, yourself. <laughs> educate yourself. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, have you been clapping without me? Yes, of like, course. Of co oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Wait, is the next one the I'm, China one? Yes. I'm clapping Sorry. by my, I was clapping by myself. Oh, so sad. Um, poor can we? Oh, poor <laughs> I was so happy to see how excited you were that I showed up. That was like, that was so hard for I me. thought I was going to go like halfway through the show and I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Can we can, I'm, I'm assuming it's China. So I'm assuming yes. we can't clap. No, but it's. It's it's uh, it's something we support. Okay, so we can clap. Next news. Next news. Conference gathers experts on Uyghur genocide to put pressure on China. So yay to putting pressure on China. From September 1st to 3rd, um, the biggest gathering of politicians and legal and academic experts on Xinjiang gathered in the Boiler House at Newcastle University in the United Kingdom. Dr. Joe Smith Finley, who organized this gathering, has been researching, quote, the evolution of identities among the Uyghurs in, of Xinjiang, Northwest China, and the Uyghur diaspora, among others. Quote, we are gathering all these people to combine their expertise and influence to up the ante to inc increase pressure on China, explained Dr. Finley. The three-day conference included in-person and virtual panel discussions. It aimed to discuss the matter of China's increasingly volatile region of Xinjiang and the Chinese Communist Party's oppression of the ethnic Uyghur Muslim population. China has vehemently denied any of these accusation, accusations despite mounting evidence. Dr. Finley stated that starting with the upcoming Winter Olympics in Beijing, the international community must hold China accountable, adding, quote, there's a lot we can do in terms of shaming. Shaming? I don't think, wait, wait is that the highlight? 
Because I don't know if shaming is going to be enough. Shame. Are they going to like ring bells? At, like the shame <laughs> bell? The Game of Thrones shame? Like, are they going to be like... Like, I don't... <laughs> um, I'm trying to not be pessimistic here, okay? Because... I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, this is nothing. But I mean, at the end of the day, for you to start something is like it's, it's academic and politicians, right? So, I mean, that's how you're supposed to like, you can't just come up with plans willy nilly. You do need some people to come and study and come up with, you know, very evidence based methods of actually coming up, you know, coming up with solutions to pressure China. Like based on things that we can tell based on historical records and statistics and stuff that works. However, is the conclusion really just shaming? Like, what is it like? Oh, first of all, I, like, I can't judge how good this is uh, because I don't know which academics are these like actual good academics or like just some, who are the academics? What are their sources of funding? Who, you know, academics from where, you know, what are their credentials? And then the politicians, what kind of politicians are we talking? Politicians from what countries? And at, at what level of authority? Do you know what I mean? Like, who are mm -hmm. these politicians? What country are we talking? What countries are we talking about? Um, wait, I can find you more. Um, is that really, is that really the only thing? Like, uh, have, they have they talked about anything other than shaming? Because that's not really going to. I mean, yes, that was just like one specific quote. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so the three-day conference was attended by very specialized individuals who um, included uh, scholars um, uh, who, who were uh, Uyghur scholars or from Xinjiang, experts in international laws and genocide, oh, yeah. non-government or uh, organization representatives, human rights advocates, activists, think tanks, and politicians from the UK. Okay, good. Okay, okay, okay. All right, guys. I know this. It's th this thing. I'm trying not to be pessimistic. Okay, I know this by itself is like, oh, this is not going to do anything. You guys are just holding a conference and talking. But I think like, I don't. You do need like for somebody to put out, you know, something out there, a roadmap, right? Like, if you need something out there, you need some, um, declare, you know, people to talk to each other and put out. A roadmap for anybody who, if there, if there is going to be a pressure on China, it better be based on people that have access to data and the experience and the know-how to show what is the best way of doing this, right? Like this, this by itself is not going to do anything, but if there is going to be anything done, if it's good that these things exist, so there's something you could refer to at least to to take action, right? Like, I mean, this is like, we just came out of the anniversary of 9-11. We all seen that when countries just take actions willy-nilly without talking, without having experts coming out and be like, I don't think this is going to pan out the way you think it does. Maybe hold on. Maybe don't take action too hastily. Like, it's good for these, you know, I, I know a lot of people dismiss these kind of conferences or people getting together and talking about what to do as if it's like, this is not going to do anything while at the same time, the people who might criticize conferences like this are, are the same people who will criticize politicians for taking actions without actually doing the studies and having the experts involved. Right? 
So this is having the experts involved. I'm not saying this by itself is going to do anything, but if there are going to be any actions taken, it's good that we have something like things like this happening. So at least the roadmap does exist. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's not like, I don't think any of us are under the impression that like one conference in China is like, oh shoot, you got me. But the function <laughs> of a conference is <laughs> more to yeah. actually bring people together from um, a diversity of disciplines to actually meet face to face, build new networks, exchange ideas. And, mm. um, consolidate efforts, right? That's where the real strength of it lies to help keep people informed, educated, and actually um, hopefully create more collective power. And building connections, right? Like yeah. for example, like you might have this politician that may, might f meet this human rights activist and this academic during the conference. And you're like, oh my God, yes. And then they exchange contacts and then there's going to be like their connection together might build, turn into something uh, good. You know what I mean? Or not. I don't know. But you have to try. Like it's better to have these things than not having these things. Right. And guys, mm -hmm. there has to be an alternative to, you know, these are, you know, a lot of people, you, when you go to war with other countries over like human rights, people are like, oh, wow, great. You caused something that was much worse than the thing that you needed to solve. Right. And then when you do nothing, right? People are like, "Oh, wait, great! What happened to never forget? Never forget what happened to human rights? Oh, look, the world is standing by and doing nothing as human rights are being violated, right? So you can't do a, like outright war, and you can't do nothing when human rights are being violated. Okay? So what's 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 left in between? What's left in between is extremely complicated, and figuring out how to press how to promote human rights." without promoting war and without doing nothing then involves a lot of studies and a lot of analysis because the thing the thing that works that is in the middle it's so complicated like and there's it's very hard to figure out where in between all the two extremes you want to be right so and you need you need stuff like this to figure that out this is not an easy easy you know a lot of people sit back and are like Oh, solve it like this. Solve it like this, as if as if it's as if it's that simple, right? As soon as you get involved, you realize that everything you pull, everything you touch, is going to have so many domino effects on so many other things, and you have to consider all the side effects of everything you do before you actually do something, right? When it comes to international politics, um, everything you do will have benefits and harm, right? And the people who are against it will highlight the harms. The people who are for it are highlighting the benefits. There's and doing nothing is also has harms, um, and there's benefits to doing nothing, and there's also harm associated with doing uh, doing anything. Um, so the challenge is to the cost-benefit analysis to doing anything or doing nothing. It's much more complicated than most people understand, right? People just like judge things like, oh, this was a good decision, this was a bad decision, as if it, in hindsight, with the power of hindsight, they think like the politicians or the academics should have just seen it coming. But they're like judging it after it happens, and they think like they're smart because they could, they would have seen it coming if they were in the position, which they they wouldn't have. So they're, you know. Anyways, it takes more, it takes more stuff like this to figure these things out. Um. Oh shoot, there was something else I was going to say. Wait, there was a quote. So there, there's um, a quote that I want to read from the Associated Press. Um. 
So the United States, uh, to just kind of fill you guys in on some of the actions, uh, more substantive actions taken against uh, China, the United States has blocked imports of cotton and tomatoes from Xinjiang and companies linked to forced labor in the region. And um, and the European Union and Britain have also imposed sanctions on Communist Party officials. Despite such moves and a growing body of evidence documenting abuses, critics say that there has not been enough international uh, political or legal action. It is still unclear if the economic sanctions would compel Beijing or Chinese companies to change their ways. China has also retaliated by imposing sanctions on Western individuals and institutions and called for boycotts against leading retailers such as Nike and H&M after they expressed concerns about forced labor in Xinjiang. Finley, the conference organizers, was one of several British individuals slapped with Chinese sanctions and banned from visiting China earlier this year for her academic work. Hmm. Um, Zakuru is saying the strongest message we can send China is boycotting the 2022 Winter Olympics at Beijing. Yeah, and also, by the way, something that um, a lot of people are trying to study when it comes to sanctions, right? Because we have, again, we have war, we have economic sanctions, and then we have doing nothing, right? Um, the problem, you know, people, most people don't want war. A lot of, most, a lot, most people also don't want not doing nothing because doing nothing means like just accepting human rights violation. Uh, but so a lot of people look at economic sanctions and other form of like boycott or sanctions. And the problem with sanctions is that a lot of people who are not guilty get harmed, right? So this is the only tool, the only weapon that a lot of people think that we have other than war and doing nothing. Sanctions is the only form of pressure that we could put on countries who are not respecting human rights. Uh, and then you look at sanctions and you're like, okay, sanctions harms a lot of innocent people. So a lot of people are trying to, you know, financial experts, economic experts, and some, many other academics are trying to come up with sanctions that are more targeted uh, towards certain group and r reduces uh, collateral damage on, uh, you know, individuals who are not guilty. So those are, that's, a, and it's getting better and better. Um, like th there are some very creative ways that people are coming up with new methods of sanctions that would reduce the economic harm on people who don't deserve it again. But I don't know how far we've gotten. I've seen some people claiming that um, they have made a lot of progress in that, but we'll see. Um, do you, should we read any, is there anything you want to read in the live chat or any other comments while I get the, Next news. Um, no, I think Sakuro brings up a very good point regarding um, boycotting the Olympics. Um, there has been a lot of calls by both Uyghur and Tibetan activists to boycott the elections. Um, their uh, AGI saying companies or countries could refuse to compete in the 2022. 2022 winter olympics i don't know how likely that is i think individual athletes are more likely to refuse to compete but even that's difficult because that's the pinnacle of someone's career right um so that's a major personal cost to them for what ultimately might not get that much attention or 
let's be honest, it's also kind of marketing for them as well. Like they might not get as much attention for doing that as would make it worth it. So it's really difficult. I don't think um, there are going to be very many countries, if any, that refuse to compete in the uh, 2022 Olympics because um, the Olympics is one of the best marketing strategies that countries have, period. Like, uh, that's why, like, Russia and China are so obsessive about the athletes that they train their entire lives to specifically to perform and get gold medals because it's it's marketing for their countries and the strength of their countries and then subsequently the strength of the ideologies that their countries um have bought into or promote um so ask yeah uh, yeah i don't i'm not holding out to see that that happens um very good points by the way, thank you for music. Music guy is reminding everybody who's watching to like like the video. Thank you, music guy. Yes, please, please, everybody like so that it helps our um, channel grow. So please like the video if uh, if you're watching. It doesn't cost you anything and it helps us. Um, Zakura, I'm not going to highlight that because talking about certain blockchains might like encourage people to look into it and people will make it, you know, make. And if it's, if they lose money, then they're gonna blame us. I don't know. I know it's relevant to what we're talking about, but I'm still not gonna highlight it. Qasim uh, is saying sanctions should aim directly at companies that use eager products, um, at, like for at, like Nike, Puma, Zara, Adidas, etc. Yeah, I think that's a that's yeah. What do you think? That's why it's kind yeah. of funny that. China like slapped um, Nike and H&M on the wrist with sanctions after they expressed concerns about forced labor because Nike and H&M are notorious for bad labor practices. Um, and Nike specifically, I'm not sure about H&M off the top of my head, um, has been implicated in using cotton that was from a forced labor supply chain in their products. So it's a little, it's pretty yeah, it's very Apple is also like in that whole gang as well. It's very ironic from uh, that like some BLM activists, you know, for example, get involved with Nike to um, promote, you know, you know, f to to fight against anti-black discrimination in United States. You know, given the history of slavery in the United States, you would think that you wouldn't get in bed with Nike given that they're actually using modern, you know, they're using slavery right now to make their products in, you know, currently they're using slavery and the, the history of black, black people in America uh, has been a highlight of that it has been their experience with slavery. And now you're getting involved. Oh, like, oh yeah, Nike, let's get in bed with each other to promote anti-black discrimination no, while no, they're to, going through. Not to promote it, to no, fight to against promote, it. To promote awareness of anti-black, awareness of anti-black discrimination while they're actually involved in promoting slavery somewhere else. Like, it's just, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know what, I, I don't know what the, judgment on that is going to be but it's just ironic i don't know yeah a but lot that, of people I, have pointed that out 
it's yeah. uh yeah the that irony isn't lost awesome. on many people yeah i don't know maybe like somebody could justify it as saying like yeah that's in the, that's someone else's activism i get whatever i can to bring attention to my brand of activism so maybe that's the justification for it like you know what mm -hmm. like okay that's bad somebody do that activism i'm focusing on this and whatever allies I could get to bring attention to this, I'll take it. I'm just well. I mean, it just really highlights out. that um, Nike taking up Colin Kaepernick in particular as this icon for their like ostensibly like anti uh, anti black racism campaigns. That it's it's marketing. It's not sincere at the very least. I think like we could all agree on that. Yeah, but like an activist might say, like, I know it's not sincere. Um, I don't care. But we'll if take I what could, we can get. We could we'll take what we can get, right? Like if this is what brings attention to the cause that I care about, so be it. You know, you know. I'm just I'm just doing a devil's advocate on this one, just hmm. to not just promote one side. Oh, I was gonna show you guys something today at the beginning, but uh, never mind. Maybe another day. Um, all right, so. Can we clap for the next news? Yeah. Next news. Next news. Chief rabbi in Poland condemns LGBT free zones. So oh, wow. 80 municipalities in Poland have established resolutions announcing their community is quote unquote LGBT free. A predominantly Catholic country, Poland is governed by a conservative and nationalistic government. Speaking as part of a panel on August 20th in an episode of the uh, in, in an episode of Pride in the Living Room by the Aguda, Rabbi Michael Schuldrich, the chief rabbi of Poland, stated that the LGBT free zones violate Jewish law. Rabbi Schuldrich said, uh, or Schuldrich, uh, as as far as I can tell, it is against the halakha or uh, Jewish religious law referring to the municipalities in Poland that implemented the LGBT free zone resolutions. During his panel appearance, he promoted LGBT acceptance within the Jewish communities, saying that if someone tells them that they are not welcome, that person is incorrect. Rabbi Shudrik uh, is not alone in his sympathies. Jewish communities in Poland have been actively campaigning against the growing homophobia in the country. The community has previously called out Poland's president, uh, Andrzej Duda, for using dehumanizing anti-LGBT rhetoric to push his political agenda. Okay, this is good and concerning at the same time. Okay, well, bad, good, and then be careful. Uh, first of all, the first news is that Poland has LGBT free zones now. What the hell? You didn't know that? No. This has been going on for years. Like, what, it, what does that mean? Like, you can't, in, like, if you, this is like, it's like, you get, you, what does it mean to be an LGBT so free it, zone? It started in 2019, I believe, where um, all these municipalities would say that they are free from LGBT ideology. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's a like propaganda you can't, tactic. 
So how do they do they draw lines on the ground so you can't pass this? Like how does that work? Like how do you enforce it? Is there fences? Is it like you know <laughs> like <laughs> is it is it like do they have like a on one side the fence flag? is rainbow on then the other side it's like painted like black and it's like on the <laughs> black side that's where no rainbows are allowed. <laughs> No, wait, like, how does that work? How do they, like, so does that mean that on the other side of these zones, you can have LGBT um, okay, ideology? I'm gonna... Ideology, I mean, I can't even speak like these idiots. But, like, so, so wait, so, so, I, like, yeah, they draw lines in the ground and be like, hey, if you want to promote LGBT stuff, you could do it on this side of the line, but you can't do it on this other side of the line? I don't understand. I, um... I, yeah. So let me find a quote. Poland's quote unquote LGBT zones began appearing in 2019 as towns and cities passed res resolutions declaring themselves free of LGBT ideology. There are now at least 80 of these zones in Poland covering nearly a third of the country. And um, this rabbi is saying that he's refusing to be drawn into the anti LGBT sentiment. And he's saying that it doesn't express Judaism. I have a lot so, of um, contentions with his other statements on this panel. Yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna get to that. That's a that's a huge thing, right? So you know, you might think like you know, this rabbi is like this. I mean, I want to support this rabbi, while at the same time not grit, give credit to religion and his promotion because I think this is more of a promotion of Judaism <laughs> that I don't want to do. You know what I mean? While while celebrating this rabbi, I don't want to celebrate his argument because I think it's a sneaky way to get religion. Be like, hey, guys, look, there's a religion that is some religion, a version of religion that we can celebrate. I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, don't do, you know, promote, promote LGBT, you know, fight against anti-LGBT discrimination. That's fantastic. But don't like don't put the pro Judaism nonsense in the package because like we're we're not gonna take it. You know what I mean? Like first of all, what does that? What is this? What violate Jewish law? Like which Jewish law? I don't. Can you explain that part? Jewish um, law is one of the most discriminatory supremacist idea religions in the world. Like this is one thing that Judaism is worse than. Islam and Christianity about 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 that affects that about the it's the fact that it's exclusionary, discriminatory, supremacist ideology that picks a very unique group of people and says that they are superior to everybody else and everybody else is not worthy and we are special and nobody else is. Like when it comes to religions, it doesn't get only you know Hinduism and Judaism have that market cornered when it comes to being a supremacist ideologies compared to other religions. Like this, this guy coming, like trying to portray Judaism as a religion that is anti-discrimination, uh, accepting, inclusive is so off brand when it comes to Judaism. I don't like, can you explain what does he mean when it says like, this is the Judas, like, are you serious? Judaism? <laughs> you can't violent. get over that. Violates Jewish law. Jewish law tells you to like when it comes to LGBT. I don't know if I if, if I can even say on YouTube what Judaism orders you to do when it comes to LGBT people, right? Like it's the worst. Well, 
Yeah. So, um, what I'm reading is like a transcription of what he said, right? So maybe there's more context to it overall, but I can only read what was provided in English. So kind of my contention with what he says is that it actually seems like it, his statement might be more exclusive to the Jewish community. So it more has to do with the idea of like, you shouldn't be telling, well, this is the way I interpreted it. Like you shouldn't be telling other Jews where they can and cannot go. So he continues, quote, every Jew should know that they are welcome, he said. And then if someone tells them that they are not welcome, that person is incorrect. Yes, we have differences. So what? Creating Jewish unity is not about agreeing about everything. It's about celebrating that we are all Jewish together. Um, and um, he, it is, uh, so there was some other stuff, but basically he's kind of saying that, um, saying like, oh, you can or cannot go here. Like that is a violation in some way. That's how I interpreted it. I could be incorrect. Um, but there was a lot of other stuff that he said that I really did like. So, um, for example, he said, quote, we Jews always complain that when we suffer anti-Semitism, the non-Jews don't stand up for us. So that means we have a special responsibility to stand up for anyone being discriminated against. Anything that is a violation of civil rights, anything that's demeaning to a human being is wrong. Um, and, uh, there was another panelist who said, hearing rabbis speak out, speak about LGBT, hearing rabbis speak about Jewish LGBT people in our lives is so important because that silence can be deadly. And it's really interesting because like I said, um, certain Jewish communities in Poland have had, um, a particular fight against the rising anti-LGBT anti-LGBT sentiment in Poland because they, I mean, given what happened in the past century, so, you know, I can't use the word because of YouTube, but the big H, you know, this is a community that is particularly sensitive towards dehumanizing, um, belittling rhetoric towards minorities, Right. So um, there was another major uh, Jewish organization that was f going after the president, criticizing him for saying, you know, the language you're using, the way you're talking about this group of people is really raising a lot of red flags for us. Like we're getting some bad vibes. We're getting some red flags that our history has kind of taught us to, uh, you know, recognized a little bit. So they used their experience from well, not their specific experience, their generational experience from the big H as um, a foundation for their activism against homophobia in Poland, which I thought was really cool. Well, you know what else raises a red flag? What other kind of language raises a red flag? Oh no. Look at this. Not the Jaws right. music. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, okay. So, maybe maybe introduce this rabbi to his scripture. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he hasn't read his own goddamn book. Okay. So this is Leviticus 2013. It says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed. An abomination, not like an error, not like it's not an oopsie. It's not like 
oh, that was bad. Maybe next time don't do that. Like, it was an abomination. Okay? This is, like, very strong language. Okay? They shall surely be put to the, put to the, the thing on the screen. I'm not going to read it because YouTube is dumb. The YouTube gods be idiots. And just like every other god. Well, yeah. And they think we're saying something that we're not. So I'm not going to say that. So they're going to be put to, you know, a long, a, a permanent. No, never mind. I'm not even going to say that. Uh, and their 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 red liquid is going to be upon them. I'm not even going to say that part. Just read it off the screen, okay? If you're listening to this on our podcast, just look up Leviticus 20:13, okay? This is your scripture, okay? So don't try to wash whitewash Judaism for us. Thank you very much. We're not going to fall for it. Um, He's like, who am I to judge? Well, he had like kind of he tried to like play it off. He was saying like, you know, um, it's not it's not my judge to roll who to it's not my role to judge who they are. That's God's responsibility. I have enough to do. I don't have to do God's job. I'd like to give him or her some of my work. This is some of the dumbest thing religious people say, right? (laughs) Who am I to judge? Well, yeah, you don't need to. Your God has told you, like, if you have scripture that God says in it how he is going to judge, okay, you believing in that scripture, you can't get away from the fact that your God is a monster by saying, who am I to judge? Well, you are not. Your scripture says that your God has already made the judgment and here's his judgment. So don't get, don't try to get away from your judge already communicating with you what his judgment is by saying, who am I to judge? Right? Like nobody, nobody thought that your ideology puts you in a position that you get to judge for God. God has made his judgment very clear in, in, in his book for you. So that's such a, like, who am I to judge? Like nobody claimed that, if you say your God makes this judgment on people, that you're claiming that you're the one who's judging. Like, that's like who, who falls for that? Who falls for that dumb excuse? Anyways, guys, don't let, don't let people use. So, by the way, this is a good thing, okay? Because we have progressive morality, you know, in ethic, you know, more on our moral codes and standards and everything to a level where these. People with Bronze Age ideologies are trying to jump on the bandwagon as a way to promote their ideology, okay? Just because we are pro-LGBT, don't let these people jump on our bandwagon, okay? Don't be like, well, we're for LGBT, and this guy's for LGBT. So, like, okay, okay, like, like guys, they're smuggling in some toxic stuff. But, like, hey, look, hey, kids, look, I'm one of you guys. And they're, like, hiding some, well- like, really nasty stuff under there. And they're trying to get on your bandwagon, and you have to like pat them down. I'm like, okay, okay, you could go, but you could look mm. like under you. Like, oh, I see some. Oh, I see you're carrying some toxic material with you. Like, so be careful not to let them on the bandwagon. I mean, even if you let them on the bandwagon, say like, okay, fine, you could join us. However, no to that, no to this. That's bullcrap, and I call that out. And no, I'm not buying that. You know what I mean? So even yeah, if you're working, I mean, I'm not them, gonna. I don't agree that we shouldn't let them on the bandwagon all together we need as many allies as possible but we're still going to criticize the ideologies that are informing their opinions that we still think are harmful 
That, that's why as soon as you said like mm, I kind of <laughs> I saw what's coming and I adjusted my metaphor. <laughs> I adjusted because at first I said don't let them on the bandwagon again and Suze was like Am. and I'm like okay okay fine let them on the bandwagon again but also point out that no to this no to that and that's bull crap and, and I'm not buying that okay so I adjusted it because I knew what was coming. I knew what was coming and you're right. Susie's right she's holding me accountable to our own standards yeah so thank you you're right you're right sis you're right you're right, you're right. secular rarity is saying i do like the idea of an overworked rabbi trying to push some of his work onto god though <laughs> <laughs> i mean um it's it's interesting because rabbis are the ones who tell us that their religion involves fighting with god right so if anyone any religious um any religious leader could claim to struggle with God, it should be Jewish leaders. You know what I mean? Like if they're in a position to challenge God or argue with him or ask for compromises. Um, so anyways, that's another discussion. Uh, anything you want to highlight in the live chat? Uh, no, that was it. Okay. Can we clap for the next news? Yes. Next news. Next news, report finds major United Kingdom religious institutions expose millions of children to abuse. So just to be clear, we are clapping because this is a, a major inquiry into the problem that will help address it. Okay. A recent way, inquiry. I don't know if our editor includes the clap. So when you say you're clapping and the video gets cut, people are like, what are you talking about? So, so we have to mind that. Okay. Actually, maybe we should ask our video editor to include the clap. Yeah, all right, let's continue. Uh, a recent inquiry into a wide range of religious organizations based in the United Kingdom found a number of issues in how such organizations handle abuse allegations. The independent inquiry into child uh, sexual abuse, uh, or ICSA, examined child protection within 38 religious institutions within England and Wales. According to their report, the group had, quote, significant, the groups had, uh, quote, significant or even dominant influence on the lives of millions of children. It was also found that religious leaders deterred reporting of abuse to protect the reputations of the organization and that victim blaming was a part of the tactics used to silence allegations. The inquiry provided several case studies from various religious groups, including Judaism, uh, Islam, and Christianity. Alexis J., chair of the inquiry, commented, quote, religious organizations are defined by their moral purpose of teaching right from wrong and protection of the innocent and the vulnerable. However, when we heard about shocking failures to present, prevent and respond to child sexual abuse across almost all major religions, it became clear many are off operating in direct conflict with this mission. Hmm. Is there, is millions, it says millions, really millions? Well, so it's millions of children that are a part of religious institutions, not necessarily victims. Mm -hmm. How many victims do we know? Um, Not off the top of my head. And it's like within what time period? You look, it says, the, the Guardian says, millions of children in religious groups in England and Wales vulnerable to abuse because okay, so i don't know how you define 
vulnerable because they are within institutions that do not have good practices to prevent such Uh abuse. So something I'm, um, uh, one statistic was it found that actually, no, you give your commentary while I find, um, I wonder if there's any statistics that, because I'm pretty, I'm almost sure that this is going to be heavily, um, you know, the numbers are going in religious institutions is going heavily outweigh non-religious institutions. However, I wanted, I, I don't know if actually this is what my guess is, but I want something to point to as data, okay? Like, is there any data that shows, that compares the amount of abuse children are exposed to in non-religious institutions um, adjusted per capita compared to religious institutions, right? Like, is there a study? Like, there's, I hope there's a study. I think there's something similar for America. I'm not familiar with the United Kingdom. Right. Because, I I mean, if I was biased in favor of religion, I could always come and say, like, well, children are vulnerable in non-religious institutions as well, right? Like, it's not just religious institutions. Oh, look, here's my anecdotes. Here's my here's an example in in this school. Here's an example in this school, right? So what we need is to do a comparison side by side with you know institutions that are not religious in nature, and adju- not just total number, but just per capita to to show that religious institutions seem to be a lot more dangerous. Children in religious institutions seem to be a lot more dangerous. And I also want to know if I'm biased, right? Maybe because we constantly report on abuse against children in religious institution, I have this false um, idea that this happens a lot more in the religious institution. I don't think I have that bias. I think like based on everything we've seen, but I'm happy to change my mind if this is not true, right? I I do want to see a side-by-side comparison to be able to say that with, you know, with something to refer to as, you know, as... Yeah. What are you going to say? Well, I think in the United States, I remember seeing like basically like a Catholic kind of apologist website saying that, and I wasn't able to verify this myself. So, you know, um, you know, be skeptical, but something that basically like that there's actually a higher rate of public school teachers per capita that are guilty or involved or alleged, whatever it was, um, to have abused minors more than Catholic priests. Um, that would be, uh, a different though, because this is over a broad, uh, 38 different religious institutions, right? So it's, it's a much broader, uh, sample that or population that we're dealing with here. Um, but it was shocking. The report found that roughly only 37% of religious, um, settings had up-to-date criminal checks on people who are um, have access to children. So a minority of the institutions had up-to-date background checks on people who were around children. Um, I was able to read a little bit of the report today and a shocking number of institutions. What I don't like about the report is that it doesn't actually, um, well, what I saw of it doesn't give you numbers that are crunched. It kind of gives case studies throughout the report but there was a shocking number of um, institutions that had no policies on the books in regards to child protection or reporting mechanisms. Um, the 
report did a really good job explicitly calling out um, religious hypocrisy. And they call it as such in very strong language. Um, and here's a quote that I think Armin will enjoy. So um, under the section titled risk assessment of those who offend quote, forgiveness is central to the teachings and practices of many religions. However, care must be taken to avoid creating a culture in which the encouragement of forgiveness results in safety concerns and the assessment of risk to others being overlooked. Wow, they're actually talking about this whole notion of forgiveness in Christianity being a toxic thing that actually encourages sin and gives you a license to do things that are evil. See, this is what I, oh God, this is what I've been telling you guys. There's not nothing in Christianity that says this is okay, but there are other things in Christianity that indirectly is responsible for more actions like this. One of them being the license to sin with this doctrine of forget everything being forgiven to Jesus Christ, right? So this is why a lot of things that seem positive about religion, like, oh, religion has good teaching. Like what? Oh, like forgive everybody. Like, oh, yeah, you think that's a good thing? Like that's basically a license to do the most horrible crap in the world, right? That's like, oh, I, I don't care how you judge me. I've been forgiven through Jesus. Like I've, this is, and also to, to whitewash all, all forms of sin as if they're all the same, like make it all equal. Like in Christianity, the way you look at it, like, oh, yeah, somebody steals a gum, somebody lies to their mom. And somebody else commits genocide. A sin is a sin. All sins are forgiven through your Lord and Savior, your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, and it's all good, you know. So, and again, that gives you, especially people who think they're men of God, will feel less, you know, that thing that the natural feeling that you have that reduces evil acts by in some of us holds us back because we have a conscience. That is like the effect of that is lessened. By, by this idea that you think that you, you will be forgiven through Jesus. That has a very harmful effect. Again, there are other reasons why religious institutions promote, um, you know, will result in child abuse. One of them being this um, undeserved um, authority and trust that religious leaders are given to without any credentials or any, because they're seen as man of God, good, uh, good men, men of high morals that can be trusted with children and this false notion that these people are trustworthy just because they're men of God and encourages more parents to just accept that this is a good place. This is a trustworthy place to put children in and trust these people with. If you look at the same institutions in another place, the, the way that the people are trusted with children, they have to go through uh, hoops that Men of men of God, so so called men of God or women of God, don't have to go through, right? So that by itself encourages more child abuse, even if this if there's nothing in Scripture that promotes uh, child abuse. I mean, it does, but not in this way. Um, so, but again, that's amazing that this report actually refers to forgiveness as something that is mm -hmm. okay. I feel yeah, I feel like I wasn't talking nonsense all this time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, by the way, is saying something that I think, like, in the Facebook live chat, I think a lot of people don't get, right? Hannah, like, says it happens everywhere, not just religious places. Yes, Hannah, it's not about the fact that happens. Guys, 
We're not claiming that. It's about these organizations are claiming to have moral superiority or a monopoly on morality, and they are failing to uphold their supposed tenets and missions at every possible step. We're not making the claim that it doesn't happen. Oh, my God. I can't even engage with this. Yeah, and it's not just that. Even if it wasn't, even if it was no hypocrisy, okay, um, it's the relevant, you know, it's the how like in comparison, how much. Of course, it happens in other places. Who claimed that it doesn't happen in other places, right? Like who, ha- like you know, it's as if like saying like, um, yeah, in like uh, in like let's say for example, uh, going to you know a country. The, where women rights are being abused in, in in such a such dramatic ways, and other people coming are like, well, it happens other places as well. Yeah, but in this place, it's happening more. There's a significant bigger problem here compared to other places. That's the issue. You can't you, you, you can't just be like, well, it happens other places. Yeah, but there. You, this is why people don't understand. Like people just look at everything in such a simplic, simplistic black and white. Um, you know, they don't understand that there's different levels that you're dealing with, right? You have to look at things relative to each other. It's it's not a binary thing. We're not talking about, yes, it does exist here. No, it doesn't exist here. And there's nothing in between. Everything is in between, okay? You have to, you have to think, you have to come out of that binary mindset. It's not just yes, no, on, off, good, bad, okay? It's bad and worse. It's good and better. It's every life is mostly gray. It's not black and white. You have to you have to judge things relative to others. You have to look at numbers. You have to look at stats. You have to look at reports. You have to when you're looking at numbers, you can't look at total numbers. You have to adjust it based on the population. You have to control for external factors. Okay, so this is guys come up, look at things with a little bit more nuance. I know it's a bit cringe to ask for nuance, but I don't care. Just be a little bit things are not that as simple as a lot of you in, in the live chat make it seem yeah anyways um, um there was some other stuff i wanted to talk about this um report so i encourage you guys to go uh look it up you can find it uh freely on the exo website or for free and um I wish that they gave us more statistics and numbers but what i was what was really interesting to me is um, like Zakuro is asking why are children's always unsafe in religious institutions? And part of it is to do at least with what this report found was that many religious institutions had completely out of date child safety policies. So if they did have a child safety policy, it was often completely out of date. And people who were in charge of managing these religious institutions literally said they were quoted as saying, really, this is something we just was checked off once a year and put back in a file cabinet to say that we did it. So many religious institutions, it's not something that is actually actively engaged in and um, ensure that they're that they're being followed to a T. In some institutions, um, the the policies might be in English. Meanwhile, leadership or the majority of participants might not be native English speakers. So, um, the policies and practices that are outlined aren't actually accessible to them. Like they were, this was the case in a um, Gujwara where they didn't have these policies available in Punjabi. Um, there 
what's also very interesting is they outline a lot of the attitudes that thrive in these religious institutions that perpetuate the abuse. So for example, one of them is um, the fear of external reporting and reputational damage. So a lot of institutions will explicitly put the reputation of the religion above the safety of members. For example, here's a quote, quote, in many cases, concerns about external involvement are connected to a desire to protect the reputation of a religious organization. Mrs. Hurst described how within the Jesus Fellowship Church, quote, the reputation as a church was above all else. In Mrs. Ratu's experience, religious institutions operate as, quote, gatekeepers to hide the abuse, keep it under the carpet so as not to affect the reputation and status of a family, an individual, or a community. Um, and so on the same point, Mr. Humphreys noted that, quote, the perceived reason for placing responsibility for the abuse on victims and survivors is more, in my experience, more about the need for individuals to protect the reputation of the church institution and maybe even God himself. So to speak out about the, this issue, you are damaging the church, you are damaging God's reputation. So these are some of the attitudes that are in communities that are often in communities like this that obviously create an environment that um, makes it very easy for this stuff to continue and not get addressed. Um, they also talk about how um, there in some uh, institutions there is actually a dislike or fear of secular or statutory services. So this is infamous in the Jehovah's Witnesses. They um, are extremely suspicious of people outside the organization and delegitimize the services that they provide or um, the processes, the, le the legal processes that they should be going, going through. And they try to delegitimize them and basically say that we actually know God's way and this is how we should do it. And we actually have everything we need already to handle it ourselves. We don't need to alert the authorities. Um, and there's instances in the case of the JWs where there was um, a leader or an elder in the community who's known to have done horrible things to people. And they thought that they handled it internally. But then what ended up happening was that person ended up going out into the community at large and abusing children that were not a part of the JW community itself. So that self-interest actually, not only does it severely damage people within their organization, but it can lead to it going far outside of that particular community. You know, you can't be this self-interested when dealing with these matters. Um, I hope that this, answered your question. Yeah, I mean, this answers a lot. I mean, that goes again to what we're saying. Like these people, the whole idea of we got this, we have God, that's what that is what put it is putting children at risk. Like religion is directly responsible for this. This is not well, especially the JWs. Yeah. They're like explicitly a destructive cult, and they are very authoritarian in their claims that they are God's one perfect institution. So any failings within the constant within the that organization um, is a huge crack in the wall of dogma that they've built inside their practitioners. And they can't allow that crack to really, you know, spread. And then the dam 
uh, will just, you know, burst open. Um, right. Interesting. So, yeah, I really want to dig into more of this report, but we do have to move on. But um, yeah. this was super interesting. And I think there's going to be more follow-up. What I did enjoy was um, them talking about, they had offered a lot of solutions, but when they were talking about the failures of all these organizations, they made sure to mention how much material is actually publicly available that they could have taken advantage of. Right. So they're not saying, Oh, you know, this is difficult. The standards and the updates that we've made to these policies that they should be abiding by. They're not like, Oh, you know, they're like, no, these are freely available. We extend them often. They should be up to date. Um, and one good thing is because they went out of their way to make this inquiry, a lot of these organizations are bringing themselves um, to a proper standard because they got cut out for it. Guys, I, I just want to let people know how much um, Susie takes time into digging into these research and nerd it out and come out and analyze it for you guys. And she like <laughs> she does a lot more homework than I ever could. And she has, she's so good at, uh, you know, researching, you know, researching the information and she understands the studies in a way because she had, actually, I don't know if a lot of people know, that's her background in, you know, doing research and analyzing research. So we are so lucky to have her here because um, she goes and finds these reports and then explains it to us um, in a way that we don't have to go and, you know, Read. I mean, you can if you want. By the way, there's a link to all these studies here if you want to go read it yourself. Link is in the description. Link to this article is in there, and then you can find the research as well. But um, I just find it so helpful when Suze goes and spends so much time doing so. You have no idea how much work she does behind the background. A lot of people don't understand how much work Suze does behind the background. You have no idea. You guys should be very grateful for her doing all of this. Anyways... Well, uh, you also yeah. like do so much studying, you know, like I know it's a joke that you don't do anything, but that's not true. Like you <laughs> spend so much time learning just so that you can have like a more expansive commentary. It uh, might not be specific thanks. to that news, but like that's not that's not nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you deserve thanks. appreciation for that. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Can we clap for the next news? Uh, no. Oh, next news. Next news. Afghan man attacks 58 year old German because quote, she was working on September 4th, a 28, sorry, on September 4th, a 29 year old Afghan man approached a 58 year old German woman who was doing some gardening work in a Berlin neighborhood. For reasons unknown, he engaged in a short conversation with the woman, then drew out a knife and began to stab the woman repeatedly at, in the neck. At this point, a 66-year-old bystander attempted to intervene to help, but this individual was also attacked. The assailant was arrested and charged with aggravated assault and attempted murder. The police initially suspected mental illness may be to blame, but are now considering Isla Is Islamic extremist ideologies may have played a part in this heinous attack. But to be clear, there's no reports of that being confirmed at this point. Is she open? What happened to her? Sorry. Well, due to German privacy laws, the names of the victims have been withheld. But according to reports, both victims have survived the initial attack and are okay. undergoing treatments for their injuries. God damn. 
Wait, is that like do we know that for I mean it doesn't make it any wait, is this person for 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 working? How do we know it was for working? Like do we This we is just this? what we're I'm hearing from German media, including okay, like okay, okay. DW, which is very authorita authoritative in my book. All right, so this is the initial reports, guys. Like we don't like nothing is certain. Uh but that is like Wait, how could this person have been? How long has this person been there? Like, is this the first time he's witnessing a woman working in Germany? I don't know. It's, it's, it's vague at this point. There Bizarre. hasn't, I mean, especially in English, there hasn't been much clarifying news or updates. Hmm. Initial findings question. of the incident revealed that the asylum attacked the woman because she was working. Islamic ideology, especially Sharia law, does not allow women to work. Um, Okay, let's let's be clear about that. Some, de depending on, you know, I mean, depending on which Sharia you're referring to. Do you know what I mean? Like, not all. I mean, all Sharia law is bad. I'm not excusing Sharia law. Okay, but I don't. I don't think this is as unanimous as women not being able to work. Is not as unanimous as some people uh, within Islamic ideology. Is not as unanimous as some people make it seem to be, right? Well, yeah, that's how the, our article continues. We continue by saying Islamic oh. scholars claim that this is not true, and there are provisions where they oh, are allowed to work. However, especially in Afghanistan under Taliban control, those provisions right, right, right. were never practiced in their entirety. Look at this. Look at uh, our writers being not biased and providing you the other side of it. Look at, we have great writers, guys. Look, check out our the links in the description. We're not biased. We provide, you know, we're not, we're not trying to uh, give you like, like, boogie, like be scared, like Islam. You know, I know like a lot of right-leaning websites do, might not give you the other side of this, right? But we do, okay? We do. Um, I do also think that it might be this, it is possible that if we wait more on this, this guy might have been like not right in the head, you know, because even, even, uh, even many very very conservative Muslims who think women should be not working, they don't go out and do stuff like this. Oh, and here's another thing. Let's be let's be very clear. Even if the the people who think the the Muslim conservatives who think that women shouldn't be working under Sharia, like that that shouldn't be allowed, I don't think even they would be like, okay, this man did a good thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to be very fair here, okay? Mm -hmm. So, the like, the, the Islamic leaders who think that you shouldn't be working because Islam doesn't allow women shouldn't be working, they don't think the punishment for a, a woman working under Islam, like, maybe they think, like, the punishment for adultery for a woman in Islam should be deaf, but they don't think the punishment for working for a woman under Islam should be deaf. Like that is definitely not Sharia. I'm not, by the way, guys, I'm not excusing Sharia, okay? The fact that Sharia teaches you know. that the punishment, I mean, the fact that the Sharia teaches you that the punishment for adultery should be deaf, for example, that means that this is horrible, okay? I'm not like whitewashing it. I'm just, I'm just giving you the facts. The facts is that, you know, we are against Islam, but not everything and everything that is sinful under Islam like results in the death penalty. Okay. And even if it results in the death penalty, it's not just willy-nilly vigilante random Muslim in the streets 
doing something about it. Like, it's not even like that. It's more like we need a court, we need judges, we need witnesses and stuff like that. Again, I'm not saying that makes it okay. It's all very horrible, but let's not make it seem like this is Islamic. This is not Islamic, okay? This is definitely not Islamic. Even if even if you accept the version of Sharia that women shouldn't be working under Islamic law, this is not what Islam prescribes as a solution. This guy, mm -hmm. this guy probably had some issues. But yeah, go on. I mean, well, yeah. I have a question because this is something that I was thinking when we were reporting on this and that I wanted to have a conversation about. Is it bigoted to assume that <laughs> Gossam's joke is what if adultery is her job? <laughs> I'm so mad. Okay. <laughs> um is it bigoted to assume that this is because of Islam? Because oh. um, the reports from Germany are just saying that um, authorities said the man attacked the woman allegedly because he didn't like that as a woman she was working. That's what authorities are saying at this point. That's a very good question, okay, Susie? Because these two statements are not a contradiction, okay? A lot of people think... The, this is a very interesting, perfect, perfect question, okay? So I'm going to say two things, and I'm going to claim that this is not a contradiction, okay? I'm going to say, yes, Islam is to be blamed for this, okay? Statement A. Statement B, this is not Islamic. Yeah, Both that's not a contradiction. These, that's not a contradiction. Both of these statements are true. This, The actions that this man took... Islam doesn't promote this. His actions are not Islamic. Is Islam to be blamed for actions like this? Yes, partly so. That is not a contradiction. A lot of people think if, if you say one, you can't say the other, right? Islam is indirectly responsible for actions like this because it promotes a culture, it promotes certain values, it promotes an understanding, it puts men in certain positions, that promotes ideas like this and puts women in certain position that promotes certain um, acts like this. We have so many examples of Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism to promote certain ideas, make certain, certain acts more likely to happen in society, even if the scripture is not directly in promoting those actions, right? So yes, this is definitely not Islamic, but Islam is partly responsible for things like this happening. Are we saying that stuff like this wouldn't happen without religion. No, we're not saying that. We're just saying religion makes behavior like this more likely, okay? So the third statement, so three statements. This is not Islamic. Islam is responsible for, partly responsible for this. Actions like this would happen, but to a lesser extent without religion. None of this contradicts the other ones, but go ahead. Why are you saying that Islam is partly responsible for this? What is what, what is the justification, sir? Well, I mean, the same reason why we're saying uh, Christianity, for example, is responsible for child abuse, even though there is no scripture within the Bible that promotes child abuse, right? In the, in the way that happens, right? It promotes environments where it makes it more likely. It promotes values that makes it more likely. Right? So, for example, the idea of women being in a position where men have, um, are, you know, th th just the notion that you could physically punish women. That is something that is accepted in Islam. That's out there. Being in a position where men have authority over women. Being in a position to say men, um, women are below women. Women have to um, have certain roles that society has 
deemed for them as acceptable in society. Just these idea, ideas being out there in the ether, right, promotes a certain culture and certain mindset and certain understanding of how the world is and should be that makes these kind of actions more likely, even if it doesn't directly prescribe that this has a solution. Right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it, um, uh, let me preface this, and this is very important that you guys listen to this part before I continue the rest of my statement so people don't lose their minds, okay? Obviously, my first concern is with the victims, okay? Let me repeat that. My first concern is with the victims of this attack. But I also think about how this is going to promote anti-Afghan sentiment in Germany, and which is going to be a, a particular problem as we enter the resettlement process for tens of thousands of Afghans trying to leave Afghanistan around the world, many of whom will resettle in Germany. You know, there's already been problems with this because... Um, Germany lifted a ban on deporting Afghans uh, who had received refugee status and to deport them back to Afghanistan. And then after the government fell, they um, put that back into place. So they're not deporting people, um, not deporting uh, refugees or asylum seekers that committed crimes. Um, and so I've, you know, it just really bothers me to think about how many good people are going to be trying to enter German society and live in safety and integrate into society. And then this is going to be held against them. Is that too bleeding heart liberal? <laughs> no, I think your concern is very valid because there's going to be a lot of Afghans that would be very, that would be very, that are, very encouraged and very willing and very interested into uh, be go to for example to germany and be be a contributing uh part of the society and not just take but also to give and accept you know you know not only accept have already accepted these values in these countries as superior to the ones that they're leaving and i think unfortunately a lot of them are going to be back feel like that effort um is is not being recognized by the people who reject them just because of their identity you know what i mean their biological national identity they're going to feel like not welcome they're going to feel like not accepted even though they were they were meant they wanted to be and some of them might have even been not you know a lot of them might not accept, for example, these values as superior, but might have become, after a while, would have been more willing to accept these values and be swayed in another way if they had been, if they have been met with a welcoming population or group of people. If you use stories like this as a way to ostracize or demonize and segregate entire group of people, not only this is not a solution to seeing acts, you know, less of this happening, you might actually be encouraging it, right? Because if you see more Afghans coming to Germany and then you have stories like this on your mind and then you see these people as other or dangerous or, you know, demonize them, 
then you are making it less likely for them to feel welcome and try to be will a willing participant in the rest of the society. And by segregating them and feeling them as less part of the society, you are in, you're creating bubbles where it encourages more people to become like this, right? Mm -hmm. So not only, so Susan, I would actually say that you, you kept on trying to preface by saying that your main concern is up to, to the victims. I would say actually, the your concern that you have is also still about the victims. You know what I mean? Because, you know, it's not just about, you know, you worrying about the rights and the experience the Afghans will be facing in Germany, but what you are, if, if what you're concerned about, um, if, if that happens, will actually m might even produce more victims, right? So you're going to see mm -hmm. more acts like this happening, right? So there's, there's well, also that. In the... <laughs> I don't know how to say this. Like, I am speculating that this is an issue that across the world we're going to have issues with. And this is based off of my understanding that in general, okay, so someone might say I'm making a generalization, but you are allowed to make a generalization when it's based off of statistics that show beliefs held by majorities, right? It's on average. Um, even Afghans who don't support the Taliban have extremely conservative views by my standards, right? And that's not just going to go away. And um, so I am anticipating that we might see a lot of contentions that arise from this conflict of um personally held belief or ideology in the environment that you live in contradicting that and so on. Um, of course, I would never say that this extends to all Afghans. We have members in atheist Republic, you know, in Afghanistan that I have contact with. And of course this is, they would give anything to um, be in the free world. Right. So it's not all, but I, just have a lot of um, care in my heart for the people who really do genuinely want to integrate well and serve the countries that they will resettle in that will be discriminated against because of this, these cultural contentions. Um, Zakuro is saying, how much more welcoming do you expect people to be? You don't see Indians, Chinese, Koreans, or Japanese creating even a fraction of the ruckus that these people do. These people. I reject the word, the use of the word these people, because I think you're judging, you're, you're collectively holding an entire population responsible. Um, I mean, if you look at the number of Afghans that are in Germany, uh, and then compare, like, the, when you talk, when you're looking at stories like this, and then put that number next to the entire populations of Afghans in Germany, then the the, the fraction that you're going to come out with is going to be at as you know very very small number. Do you know what I mean? Like yes, relatively to other populations, um, these you know you're going to see get a higher number, obviously because of the values that you're dealing with. Um, if you not because of obviously there's nothing intrinsic about Afghans that makes them like this or you know obviously we're talking about value systems but but you can't just compare the Af uh, the the per capita um that 
of incidences like this to the other population. You also have to compare it to the Afghan population as a whole. And when you do compare it to the Afghan population as a whole, then that makes your use of the word of the phrase these were these people very problematic, extremely problematic. You are collectively holding an entire group of people responsible for something that most of them are not responsible for and don't do. Like, and that is, I, I don't think that is justified at all. Um, another thing that I have to address is that um, a lot of the, you know, these are these are anecdotes these anecdotal events that happen are concerning, are tragic. Nobody should dismiss how tragic they are, okay? Um, I don't want to say but because it, it might seem like I'm dismissing how tragic these things are, but I mean, I'm saying but, I'm going to say but. But um, you have to, you have to, if you look at the larger picture, this, the whole Europe is going to be taken over by Sharia. The sky is falling. You know, these are going, Germany and the UK and France are going to become failed state kind of fear mongering situation. Not only none of that happened, okay? By the way, like a lot of these stats of these crimes that people are comparing, you know, that are looking at on a per capita basis, they're not comparing it to the already existing crimes that existed in Germany before, right? So for example, you see a lot of left-leaning people and right-leaning people giving you stats that is not gonna help us understand what's happening, right? So for example, right-leaning people will give you all of these crimes that are happening uh, from immigrants from the Middle East and North, North Africa, right? Um, and just give you the give you every story after another story, and when you put all these stories together, it looks very scary. Okay, uh, left-leaning people come out and say, "Well, look, the total number of crimes happening by non-immigrants in these countries is actually more than immigrants, right?" And both of these stat, and so therefore, you shouldn't be concerned about this because look, non-immigrants are committing more crimes. Both of these numbers by right-leaning and left-leaning people is not helpful, okay? Because obviously non-immigrants are gonna commit more higher number of crimes because there's more of them. So left-leaning people are giving you a number that is not helpful. And right-leaning people are also just looking at the total number of uh, crimes they're committing by immigrants, and that's not helpful either. If any, if anybody was being honest with you, they would look at the per capita crimes by immigrants and compare it to per capita crimes by non-immigrants to have actually a fair comparison. You know what I mean? And I don't know if that data exists in Europe. That data exists in North America, and apparently immigrants actually commit less crimes per capita than uh, non-immigrants than native people, right? So yeah, at least in North America, non-immigrants are not a major source of crimes, okay? Um, I, I, if you adjust it per capita, all right? So I don't know if this exists for Europe to, to adjust it per capita to see if this is actually a case or not. So if somebody knows, please let us know. But at the same time, another thing I want to uh, address is that, you know, the whole sky is falling, fear-mongering never came to be. And if you actually look at the big picture, it seems like Germany is benefiting from all the immigrants that they're letting in economically. Not only they're benefiting, it seems like it kind of was a lifeline that they very much needed. Uh, Germany is suffering extremely from um, an aging population, 
that is not being replaced by birth rates um, and you know the the economic you know the cost to society when it comes to crimes like this hasn't been the the significant as significant as a lot of people anticipated. These are just anecdotal evidences, anecdotals, anecdotals that if you add them up might not be much compared to the other crimes that already exist in these countries, right? Um, again, I'm trying to not dismiss how tragic events like these are, right? But it seems like econo economists in Europe, in Germany, are claiming that not only the immigrant population that they live in is benefiting Germany, that they actually need a lot more of it. Okay, so you have to take all of that into account. Okay, um, <laughs> Japan, take notes. Yes, yes. I okay, was literally uh, about to say, like, look at what being so like isolationist and xenophobic, like the policies of Japan have gotten them. Like, right. It's not good. Canada is looking to bring in a ton of immigrants because mm. Canada is so underpopulated. Um, there was another yeah. point I wanted to make, it's but I can't remember. Well, well, while you think about it, can I say like actually Japan is was one of right-leaning people's favorite example of look at Japan, look how awesome Japan is. <laughs> racial. <laughs> like, look, like, look at the, and, and this is what a lot of right-wing people, uh, they try to act like this is not a bad race. Particularly ethno-nationalists. Yeah, but no, I mean, I think a lot more right-leaning people are ethno-nationalists and they, you know, only some of them are sure. open about it. But because, because a lot of right-leaning people keep talking about Japan and what they love about it, but they, they, they kind of want to hint about what they love about it without saying it. They're like, look at how everybody looks alike in Japan. <gasps> like I'm I'm not I'm not saying what well, I'm I'm not I'm what no like there's something about them that is the same, right? So they kind of like I think like a lot of more right right leaning people are ethno-nationalists than more people more people realize, right? But they they keep wanting to associate Japan's progress and the fact that it's like economically and um technologically ahead of most other countries in the world they want to you know this is kind of correlation is not causation so you're like look this country that seems to be this good at this advance it's also an ethno state so maybe anti-immigration look japan has very very strict immigration policies very strict immigration policies right and they're like look maybe we should be taking notes of japan but 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 japan they don't show how the evidence for Japan's progress being because of its, its strict immigration policy. In fact, Japan's official econ economists themselves are claiming that we would have done better if we didn't have such strict economic policies, sorry, immigration policies. And they are constantly trying to advocate for loosening up their immigration policies. And they're like, we are struggling. Japan is struggling for not being able to let more people in. But go on. Um, one final point I want to make is a lot of people are uh, bringing up that, okay, you know, like immigration is fine or whatever. We need to make sure that these people have their, our values um, to a certain extent, or the bringing up the importance of Im uh, integrating immigrants when they're um, trying to achieve citizenship or naturalization and imbuing liberal values in them. And Germany is actually one of the countries that is most notable for that. So um, several months ago, possibly last year, 
um, you guys can look up. We did a segment on Google, like German citizenship, um, shaking hands or something. There was a man from Jordan, I believe, who was applying for citizenship and he went through the entire citizenship or naturalization process and literally like at the ceremony or something to receive his citizenship, he refused to shake hands with a woman because it's against his Islamic religion. And because he refused to shake hands with a woman at the final process, like basically the ceremony of his citizenship, they revoked that they revoked that right from him. Good. So that's Good. how seriously, and there was a huge court battle that underwent it. And the, the judges defended it, that gender parity is a part of the, the German constitution and part of German culture. And, um, so that's, that's how seriously good. they take it. Yeah. And yeah, so look up that segment because I might have gotten the details a little bit wrong. Yeah, but. I think that's a fantastic combination. Be more accepting of immigrants, but don't compromise in your values. You know? I would go as go, you know, go some in some aspects, go as strict as France when it comes to be like, I want to I want these countries to be like, we will let you in, but this is how we do things. This is how we do things here. Like, we are not going to compromise. Like, I think that would be a perfect combination, right? Like, come up with a strict screening process, come up with a very strict um, adherence to values that make these countries better, but also have an open, like, given that these values are respected, leave an opening for people that are willing to accept it and come in. But, yeah. I think that's a good compromise, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we covered because a it, lot. Dang. Yeah, we did. I think that was a good segment, actually. I'm, yeah, I'm no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, somebody told us to invite. Uh, you all was saying that we should invite, invite Douglas, Douglas Murray. Murray. Yeah, we should like maybe consider that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I talked to Douglas Murray a couple of times. Only if we um, have Jimmy Bangash there because he loves <laughs> Douglas Murray. Nah, he got then, he got yeah. like a book or something signed by Douglas Murray and made a pass at him. <laughs> Wait, what did what is his book? The Death of Europe? Because that look that Douglas something Murray's book, like The that. Death of Europe, is not looking very it looks like a false alarm right now. So we could address that if he comes, right? They're like it doesn't look like it went the way you thought it would. Um, anyways, He's very handsome, <laughs> but that's not for me. He's, he's not, not for me. <laughs> he's not for you. <laughs> it's very interesting because he, he's gay and he's against a pride parade and I'm straight and I'm like in favor of pride parade. And I was arguing with him in, you know, in favor of the pride parade. And he was arguing against the pride parade as a gay man, which was interesting. Anyways, we should... Should we get to the next news? Can we clap for the next news? Yes. Next news. Next news. Christian loses federal lawsuit must end child's conversion therapy practice. On March, in March 2018, the state of Washington passed Senate Bill 5722, which restricts the practice of conversion therapy for minors in the state. Brian Tingley, a licensed marriage and family therapist, refers to the law as, quote, the counseling censorship law. T 
Tingley sued the state, accusing the law of intervening in controlling his practice. He claimed that professionals should be allowed to continue practicing based on their differing interpretations of science. On August 30th, a federal judge dismissed Tingley's suit, citing that the bill's purpose is, quote, not to infringe upon practice because of their religious motivation, but to protect the physical and psychological well-being of minors, including LGBT youth, by protecting them against exposure to serious harm caused by conversion therapy. The state attorney general, Robert Ferguson, called the ruling, quote, an important victory for LGBT civil rights. Wait, what was that part about different interpretations? Can you explain that? Okay, so this guy, he 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 tried to pull a fast one. Okay, he had a couple of different <laughs> arguments. He, he, he had a couple different arguments for this. Um mm. He tried to argue, one, that this was like a violation of his free speech, which it patently isn't, okay? He is still allowed to believe these things and talk about his belief in these things, but he's not allowed to do so under the charge he has as a state-licensed practitioner, right? That's where the state becomes interested in this, because the state is the licensing body of his practice. Um... He wait. Let me find um, a. I don't understand how these people think they can get away with the free speech. Like I have the free. Uh, free what does this got to do with? Here, free here's speech? a quote. Calling the conversion therapy ban the quote counseling censorship law, Tingley argued that even mental health professionals have a constitutionally protected free speech right, even if they are using a state-issued license to pass off personal beliefs as professional assessments. He also said that the law discriminates against him because he's a Christian. He insisted that oh. the children he tries to change want to be changed and that they have a right to treatment, even if that treatment has been scientifically shown to be ineffective and harmful quote for a minor client of faith who seeks assistance of a counselor who shares his faith to help him align his thoughts and his conducts with the teachings of his faith the law again says no denying that young person professional help towards his goal his lawsuit argued alighting the fact that many minors are pressured into conversion therapy by their families um and uh, the federal judge, shouts out to this federal judge, Robert J. Bryant, um, dismissed it, writing that psychology isn't a field where practitioners simply state whatever, they opini whatever opinions they have, like people shouting at a street corner, but instead are licensed professionals who are supposed to provide effective treatment, even if that treatment involves words. So they're saying, okay, so obviously talk therapy involves talking, it involves speech. Right. Just because that is the method of your speech, that doesn't mean that a restriction on what you're allowed to do within your state licensed practice is a violation of your free speech, because you're still allowed to have these opinions and talk about it outside of administering this as what I consider a fraudulent medical, not even a fraudulent practice. Guys. I don't understand how people like, do these people not have lawyers when they go to court? Like how come they don't understand? Like I, I understand why most people don't understand how free speech works, but I don't understand how somebody who's going to court and making arguments, do they not hire lawyers to tell them like, dude, this is not what free speech means. Like, do, does he like, does he represent himself? Like first, let me actually tell you guys, like guys, free speech doesn't mean that just because you're talking, 
you can say anything and it can't be illegal. That's not how free speech works. I can give you a few examples, okay? If I say, Bob, here's $5,000, go make John, make something happen to John, and if once that happens, I give you another $5,000. I can't be more explicit about what I mean because YouTube might think that I'm saying something that I'm not. Um, if I come get arrested for this, you can't be like, well, I was free speech. I was just talking. I didn't do the harming to, well, I forgot how I named these people, to John myself. I didn't do it. I was just speaking, officer. Isn't my speaking protected under free speech? If I promised Bob $10,000, this was actually, let's say I didn't give him anything. I just promised him $10,000 if he does something to John, okay? This was just speaking. So it should be, it's not protected under free speech. This is like a conspiracy to commit murder or something, okay? It, in the same way, if I say, hey, Sus, if you drink this, it will cure your cancer, okay? Or whatever. My depression, okay? I'll drink it right now. <laughs> It does. Okay. And this is just water. There's nothing else. If it's here. Acid, I'll do it. All right. If you give me five thousand dollars, I will give you this. And this is the cure for everything. Okay. Let's say Susie doesn't even buy this for me. And I just keep telling everybody, like, guys, this this five thousand dollars, it will cure anything that you have. If I get arrested, I can't just be like, that was free, that was free speech. I was just talking. No, that's a crime. Okay. Free speech, it, it, like it's, you're not just sharing your opinions; you're actually committing fraud. This is protect. This is illegal under something else. So you can't just be like, "Well, I'm just speaking." No, you're practicing medicine. You're you're giving like health advice to people on something that is completely like non-scientific. First of all, it's not even health advice because it's, it's not like this is a disease that you're like healing. But anyways, you get my point. I, you want you want to say something because I wanted to highlight something. Well, this is very important because this is something we're going to see a lot of coming up. So you were asking who the heck is his like who was involved in this lawsuit? Would he represent himself? No, he was represented by the Alliance Defending Freedom. And so Alliance Defending Freedom is I don't know exactly how they're constructed, but kind of like a legal group that takes up cases ostensibly that involve religious freedom. So they are also the group that is representing one of the Christian teachers in Loudoun County, Virginia, who um, was reinstated after he um, expressed his a disagreement with the transgender pronoun policy for students. And um, now they are representing him in a class action lawsuit against the um, uh county school district. So the Alliance Defending Freedom, when I've been doing research on a lot of these stories that we've covered over the past like few months, they keep coming up over and over and over again. I believe the Alliance Defending Freedom, actually, they might have been involved with that Hobby Lobby case. Mm, don't quote me on that. Anyways, um, I think that this Alliance Defending Freedom is going to be of, um, we're going to keep hearing about them. I think they're going to be continu continuing to be relevant and um, they're very astute at weaponizing religious freedom to um, justify and try to legalize um, anti-gay, anti-trans uh, discrimination in a variety of settings. Um, there was another quote that I wanted to read um, I have a question. Is I mm -hmm. hear my puppies in the background. Is it bothering anybody or is it fine? I didn't 
even notice. Maybe my brain just turned it off. Oh, people in the live chat are saying they hear it, but they like it. They like it. Is it okay? So it's not, but if it gets like, let me guys, let, let us know if it's like not, you know, if, if it gets annoying or anything, I could tell somebody to go do something about it. Um, I do yeah. want to highlight one of the comments, but you go first. Mm -hmm. No, no, go ahead. All right. So Yuval is saying good news on the conversion therapy being banned or whatever. Uh, but then he continues. Note the hypocrisy, though. Some people that that law this would support clinics for youth gender reassignment. Well, Yuval, I am one of those people. So this is not hypocritical because the difference is one of them is scientific and the other one isn't. There is no hypocrisy here. You just don't understand science. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, so, but this is very interesting to me. So I don't know if this is something that's going to have to go to a federal level at some point, because so this was successfully struck down by a federal judge ruling over this case where he was suing the state of Washington, right? However, quote, not all localities have been as successful in defending ban bans on conversion therapy. Last year, a federal appeals court sided with conversion therapists in a lawsuit brought against Palm Beach County, Florida, ruling that therapists have a First Amendment right to try to convert children from being LGBT to straight. So that's an inconsistency there. I, I really hope, I don't know if there's any political will or push for this, but in my perfect world, we would have um, Congress pass resolutions against this kind of thing. Ideally, I would want conversion therapy to be flat out illegal because it is a fraudulent practice. But, um, you know, without that, I will 100% take making it illegal for minors. That is the bare minimum. We can't be okay to expose children to practices that are um, psychological torture and um, non-evidence-based practice. I don't understand how this is any different. Well, it is different in some respects just because one is more physical. Um Eh, well, maybe not necessarily then like you know medical neglect like religiously based medical neglect it's it's equivalent to me and that gets Crazy. a way bigger reaction okay i, I have to add this is copycat you're saying medical re transition should be done to kids so both is wrong okay it's not medical transition that is happening to kids it's puberty blockers puberty blockers are not medical transitions puberty blockers gives the children the opportunity to decide whether they not, want to transition or not once they're adult. Okay, once they're the adult, it it basically it, nature is forces some children to go through natural hormones when they don't want to while they're a child. If you guys want ch people to be able to make a decision and not as children and be able to make a decision as the adult, then you should be for puberty blockers because nature might decide that for you with, you know, puberty, like when you go through puberty, the hormones that you're exposed to, what will make that decision for you before you get to be an adult and make that decision for yourself. So the whole point of puberty blockers is so that you get to decide that as an adult. 
Oh, I remember so, what I wanted to say. Um, so he claimed that this discriminated against him as a as a Christian. And what the, the court found, they're like, this is a pre prescription against everyone, regardless of your religious practice. This reply applies to Islamic, you know, conversion therapy practices as well as Jewish. I don't know if there's Hindu ones. This is across or secular ones. There are secular conversion therapy practices. So it can't discriminate against you in particular. There's a lot of unscientific stuff in the life that happened. Wait, so what is, how do you respond to this? Um, if people willingly want to undergo conversion therapy, would you allow it? Okay, so not for children, no. Because um, mm. even this guy, Brian Tingley, admits that um, the, the children he works with go on, upon the suggestion of their family. And that's like the nicest way of putting it. Right. I like they're you're almost certainly pressured into. I mean, I don't know if there's statistics on this, but I'm going to assume that they've been pressured into doing it. Most teenagers who have to go to therapy don't think. <laughs> They don't want to go. <laughs> um, but um, here's the thing. Okay. The standard of the law, at least in Washington state, is that this is available to adults. Okay. So out of the two options, I do think that that is less potentially, potentially less harmful because hopefully as an adult, and this is not the case for everyone, you are more independent. Perhaps you are not under the pressure of other people in your family or community. If you are, and that is what's informing this decision, then that's not something that I would support. But in general, I don't support fraudulent practices, right? So that's the standard that I'm coming from. I don't think right. that they should be like available to adults. And uh, um, it's it's not evidence-based. Yeah, I think so. There's the question, like, let's just focus on adults, right? I think the question is misleading because... The restriction doesn't come from the side of the person that is that from the demand side. The restriction is coming from the supply side, right? So, for example, let's you know, uh, let's say for example, homeopathy. I think homeopathy shouldn't be a thing. I think because it's misleading, it's false information, and whoever's pro providing homeopathy, it should be banned. It should be illegal. Government should come shut it down because it's fraud. Okay, the when it comes to shutting it down, when it comes to making it illegal, the restriction is not on the person that is will going and willing to pay for homeopathy. That's not where the restriction is coming from. The restriction is coming from the clinic or the people who are advocating, promoting, or selling homeopathic medicine. That's where the restriction comes from, right? So when you say like, if a people willing to want to undergo conversion therapy, nobody's suggesting that the, pe the people who sh want to go undergo conversion therapy, if they're adult, nobody is saying that the government should step in and say, you're not allowed. That's not where the restriction is being suggested. The restriction is coming from the person that is providing it. So for example, let's say, going back to my example, if I say like, hey, Suze, this cures everything. You want it for $5,000? And Susie like, yes, yes, give it to me for $5,000, right? Are you saying like, you, if your question is like, shouldn't Suze be able to seek that? And that's the wrong question because nobody's suggesting that the government should step in and stop Suze from seeking that. The government should step in and stop me from providing that because I, this is fraud. This is a lie. This is like medical, you know, 
misinformation and you know you know so that's that's where the restriction is coming does that make sense totally yeah okay all right can we unhighlight that i don't know how because i've let me go to the next news what the hell i can't i don't i get the picture hey Kasim saying good point armin as always thank you um okay can we clap for the next news um let's clap because we are going to be dunking on hindutva like they did stuff that we don't support but it's it, it's going to provide me with an opportunity to just go off so i'm going to clap for that <laughs> <laughs> okay good all right next news next news academic conference about hindu nationalism harassed by hindutva Religious extremism exists in almost all of the major ideologies on the planet, and Hinduism is no exception. The contemporary adaptations of the Hindutva political ideology have become increasingly nationalistic and militaristic. To address this, a number of academic institutions in the United States have organized a conference to discuss the implications of Hindutva. The Dismantling Global Hindutva Multidisciplinary Perspectives Conference intends to discuss Hindutva within the frame of an academic endeavor. Since the announcement of this conference, organizers and others involved have been targeted and harassed by Hindutva supporters. In a Twitter post, Dr. Meena Kandasameh uh, shared screenshots where harassers responded to personal photographs she shared as her children, throwing obscene language at the woman, with one going so far as to say her son will face a painful... I'm just going to leave it at that. I can't say that on YouTube. Um, organizers have faced threats of death, sexual violence, and violence against their families. The universities involved were also bombarded with hate mail from Hindutva spammers who called the conference Hindu-phobic. Nonetheless, the conference organizers claim that support for their work has grown and the conference will go forward. So, a lot of people in our community sent me a variety of news articles about this story, and I thought it was really important to cover because... Um, this is nothing less than a bald-faced attack on academic freedom. Um, and I just want to remind people, I believe that out of all of the hate groups across the planet, okay, this is a, this is a strong claim and I'm going to make it out of all of the hate groups across the planet, out of all of the hateful ideologies, no one can hold a candle to the vile nature of what Hindutva crazies are willing to do to those who oppose them. The level of depravity cannot be expressed in words that I know in English. I have seen behavior like this from no other hateful group. And I've seen a lot of freaking really hateful psychotic groups, okay? Not to stigmatize people who deal with psychosis. But they, they are so deranged and vitriolic. I mean, it's like an acid of the human spirit. 
what these people try to inflict on those who are their targets. It's absolutely reprehensible and disgusting. Um, okay, I need to get that out of my system and we can get into the we, details. Um, okay, YouTube algorithm, YouTube algorithm, we're talking about a political group. We're not talking about an entire country. We're not talking about, like, yes. that was, a, that was, Susanna, like, I agree with everything you said. I, I just think, like, we might have, like, we might have, Got in a whole it's so bunch stupid. Of if I'm talking about know, the Yahtzees, you know, that yes, group, know. if I said these people, there wouldn't be any freaking problem. Everyone would be no. like, yeah, they are freaking hateful. We don't like no, the them. That's a good thing to condemn. Yeah, the problem with the YouTube algorithm is that Hindutva's name is like, seems like we're referring to like Hindu people, right? I just think like the algorithm might not be as smart to recognize what we're talking about here. Okay, so I just have to like... YouTube guys, we're talking about like a, a political ideology, you know. Anyways, yes, um, I completely agree with everything you said. I could, I, I just want to point to the people who attacked this conference. What were they trying to accomplish? They were like, How dare you try to? They were trying to shut it down. Sorry, mm. you can continue. <laughs> I was trying to make a point. Okay, I'm just saying, like, I don't understand what was the point that, like what did they think the outcome is going to be right their their mind is in their mind they're saying how dare you try to show that hindutva is a problem how dare you try to argue that hindutva might be a problem for india let us show you let us demonstrate the fact that hindutva is a problem like instead of talking about it Here's exhibit exhibit A. Like, do they not see how this will backfire? And like, like during the conference, people are like, "Hey, everybody, exhibit A is showing exhibit A, guys. This is what we're trying to show you. This is this is the problem." Uh, like, don't they see that they're making the point? Like, do you get what I, I'm saying? I know. I I'm literally trying so hard not to interrupt you right now. They are doing the work of these academics for them so much so that I have never seen reactions to an academic conference covered this broadly in so many freaking different publications. I'm talking The Guardian. I'm talking The Associated Press. I'm talking Religious News Service. Like, it, it, more. Like, so many people were like, the level of vitriol and depravity that is being demonstrated now, the organized campaign to halt academic freedom garnered so much attention. Here's a quote from The Guardian. More than one million emails were sent to the presidents, provosts, and officials at the universities involved in the conference, pressuring them to withdraw and dismiss staff who were participating, pointing to an organized campaign by groups in India and the United States. At Drew University in New Jersey, more than 30,000 emails were received within just a few minutes, causing the university's servers to crash. Like it, okay. There were a lot of people involved in this conference who had to, to pull out, unfortunately, either because of the threats of death against them or their family members. And there are a lot of academics who actually live and work in India, and they were facing legitimate fears that if they return to India, they will be prosecuted or the victims of just like vigilante mob violence. 
So unfortunately, a lot of people did have to pull out. I believe the conference is actually happening this weekend. Um, so if you are interested in it, a majority of it is happening online. So if you Google like dismantlinghindutva.com or something, or just, just, just Google dismantling Hindutva, you can probably find a lot of the online programming that they're going to, um, that they offered. But Ooh, the whole it, point. In English? Is it in English? Yeah, it's a, it's a United States conference. Um, and the whole point of it is to look at how this is a, this is becoming a global problem. Um, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. There was one, one email sent to the organizer. Actually, I can't even say this on YouTube. Like I can't even talk about what they say Guys, to think, people. Let this be a promotion of all these, like it's online and it's in English and we have the link. If you go to this article, which is linked in, linked in the description, you should be able to go find, like if they click on this, it would, it would, it would, would it take it to a place where they could watch all the videos? Like, Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot, there's tons of um, information in what we wrote. But mm. so in a statement this week, the Hindu uh, Swa, oh, Swayam Sevant Sang or HSS Ooh. USA, a sister group of the RSS, an extremist nationalist organization in India, urged all universities to in, involve to withdraw support. They expressed, quote, a deep concern about the on, on, upcoming online event titled Dismantling Global Hindutva. We strongly condemn such events that amplify Hindu phobia, encourage Hindu hate, and incite violence against the minority Hindu population in the West. Um, and then, so a lot of news articles covering this talked about how the organizers have made concerted and explicit efforts to say you do not represent Hinduism actually and we are making a distinction between Hinduism and your Hindutva ideology that's what we're talking about okay we're in we're talking about an ideology um and one thing that I did find encouraging was that last week, more than 900 academics from across the world in 50 organizations connected to South Asia issued a collective statement in support of the conference. Um, one of the uh, organizers or speakers at the event said, the hope of the Hindu right is to intimidate and bully scholars that so, that, so that no one dares analyze Hindutva. The backlash highlighted why it is so important for the conference to proceed. They continue, right, so it is a matter of academic freedom, of not ceding the space of scholarly discussion about Hindutva or any, or for that um, a matter, any topic to the adherence of a violent, majoritarian, fascist ideology. Okay, so we have some criticism on the, about this conference in the live chat. And guys, look, this is why you come to Asian Republic, because we highlight the other side, right? So here's one. And the, the second one is, let, let's read both of them because the second one is basically saying the same thing. Uh, you want to read this? Well, I don't know what, it says, well, TBF, to be, I don't know. To what, be frank, to be frank. To be frank, some moderate Hindu groups like the HAF, that's probably the Hindu American Federation, I'm guessing, were attacking the conference because they were platforming genuine anti-Hindu bigots like Audrey Trisky and Mina Kandasami. Okay, I don't know the background of Mina uh, Kandasami. Um, I don't think Audrey Trusky is an anti-Hindu bigot. 
She is a historian who has opinions about the Mughal Empire that a lot of people don't want to hear. This is another person who's saying... There were many anti-Hindu bigots like Meena Kandaswamy who openly called for destruction of Hindus. Okay. I don't, I don't know about her background, so I'm going right. to be skeptical about that. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, if there are platforming people who are genuine uh, bigots, uh, that is fair. If that is true, that is a fair criticism of the conference. Okay. And if somebody wants to criticize it uh, for that, that would be fair. However, what what we're seeing is not like what we are criticizing is not a criticism of the conference. Is is all the things that Susie mentioned, like. None of the things that were done, like the conference has many good speakers, many people who have genuine concerns, maybe like maybe one speaker or I don't know how many others may have some issues that we could add, like would be fair to criticize. But I mean, like like messages like this, like I've seen like this is a major flashback, by the way, like people being harassed like this because me and Susie have been um, experienced. The victims of the, this? The, yeah, I mean, I don't want to say victims because I don't want to make it seem as if like I like boohoo, I'm a victim. I was like, they came after my family as well. And I think like it was unfair to them because they weren't involved in anything I do. So I would say they were the victims. I, I don't want to say I was the victim, but I've like, this is like a major flashback to me about what Hindutva does when they, when they don't like what you're saying. Right. Um, so guys, like I, if you are right about the conference platforming, anybody that is problematic, we don't know, maybe you're right, maybe you're not. So we're going to be skeptical about it. Uh, we will. That would just justify criticizing the conference, not the attacks that we've seen. Like I hope you guys agree that the attacks at least are not justified, right? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not completely familiar with if on uh, what's her name again? Audrey Trusky has said anything in particular, but I'm am more familiar with her um work. And she has to go with guards when she does public speaking events because of how consistently her life has been turned upside down by the attacks against her. Like they all like she's been a constant frequent target of this harassment and mm -hmm. accused her of Hindophobia and being prejudiced against Hinduism. And then, scholars who actually like are more familiar with her work they like reject those claims they're like she's undergoing a scholarly endeavor and i'm like her conclusions might be something that contradict your nationalistic vision but that right. doesn't mean that she hates you i mean we, some people i'm we don't know, looking no, at some of her criticism we don't some know people like, have, we it might be justified. We we can't do the research right now on that. So we don't know. Like we we right now we could just claim ignorance on this. I mean, if we look into it, we might find some things that she's actually a bigot about. So let's say we don't know. No, I said right? that repeatedly. Yeah. 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 I yes, mean, yes. but she's here's what I'm trying to say. Um, including like people trying to get her like rip her job away from her. Um and she's been trying to engage like Hindu students at her university in conversation to actually have open dialogue about these things. That's the impression that I'm getting. Um, and what happened, this is speculation. I don't know if any of this is true. What happens to many people who are under consistent threats and harassment by a particular group of people 
you know, motivated by an ideology is that sometimes they can become um, sloppy with their language when trying to speak out against what they're experiencing and they may accidentally generalize. You know, you see this with ex-Muslim activists sometimes when they're trying to speak out against their frustration of their treatment that they receive, they might accidentally generalize Muslims. So this is total speculation. I don't know if this is true, but I wouldn't be surprised if like maybe that was some of the contention. Right. Also, I have to call this one out saying Nawab Alex is saying the conference just, Nawab Alex is saying this conference just to, is just to increase Hindu phobia and hate against Hindus. This event's organized by, I don't know what this is. I think Mark Maximum Islamist, Maximum Islamist, and left bigots. Um, Nawab, they're this, trying to I say think, Marxist. Marxist. I think, yeah, you're right. Maybe. Um, I'm not sure. No, I think Max. No, I don't know what and Islamist. And okay, so first of all, Nawab, that's what people said about us. Okay, when we went after Hindutva, um, people told us that we are, you know, um, woke, which is amazing because we have been accused of, you know, being far right bigots and also being Islamists. So I don't buy these kind of accusation. Anybody who goes after Hindu, like Hindutva is such a destructive force that is like hurting India. And anybody who goes after Hindutva, they constantly are accused of Hindu phobia. They get accused of being Islamist. They kind of, they get accused of being, you know, I've been called the Catholic Jihadi. Yeah, I've been so, called a Pakistani intelligence you, agent. You know, you have to work on your accusations because when you keep using the same ones, people are going to like realize that this is full of crap. Like, you know, you can't like, you know, there's no way, there's no way people could go after Hindutva without getting these accusations. Like, like I think like we have some people in the live chat who were more careful about their concern about some of the people in the con- conference. They like they consider the conference to be okay, but some of the people may they might have an issue with. Uh, they bring an issue about some of the speakers in the conference, but also accuse the people who attack the conference. But when you have like these kind of accusations, like this sim- simplistic, just accuse you know it, all, everybody like who attacks Hindutva must be Islamist or woke or whatever. Like I mean, I am and I am anti woke and anti Islam, and I constantly get accused by Hindutva that I must be an Islamist if I'm going after Hindutva, that I must be a bigot, that must be against India, I must be against all Hindus, right? So we've seen this so many times. So we know that this is mostly bullcrap, okay? Um, yeah, liberal Hindu here is saying, see guys, like this is for, I'm glad that we have liberal Hindu here. Like liberal Hindu is like, is a Hindu and apparently like he or she has been here with us in the live chat for a while. And you can see, like, based on the profile picture, that they celebrate Hindu gods as well, uh, just like we do, but in our own sexy way. Uh, but liberal Hindu, <laughs> uh, no, but like, you can see that this whole, you know, with people who try to make it seem like being anti Hindutva makes you a bigot, their arguments is goes down the drain like very fast when they, when you see like Hindus consider Hindutva to be a problem, you know. Hindus themselves consider Hindutva to be a, a, a toxic ideology for India. Like this is not this is not a you know. I'm, I really appreciate, by the way, even though I'm against Hinduism as well. You know, um, I'm not against Hindus, but even though if I have disagreements with Hinduism, I do appreciate the Hindus who are trying to save Hindu, India from Hindutva, right? 
because it's harder for people to dismiss you as a bigot. Um, but I sh I'm sure they will try to do that because like, I'm pretty sure like some people are going to say like, oh, liberal Hindu is probably like Muslim. You know, they're going to accuse them. By, by the way, be accusing anybody who uh, criticizes Hindutva uh, to be a Muslim kind of shows Hindutva's anti-Muslim bigotry as well, as if they think that's an, you know, oh, you must be a Muslim. Like, oh my God. what an well, They literally you know I mean? can't comprehend any other reason why someone would criticize them. Yeah. Yeah. So stupid. Amazing. There is something I want to address. They're saying these conferences is biased. It will help in propagating more Hindutva ideology. I mean, that may be true. Um, probably How? any given conference is biased in some, no, the conference might be biased. That's what I'm saying is true. But no, I but disagree it that it would propagate more Hindutva ideology. A lot of people in the West don't know that this is a problem. They're not mm. familiar with this ideology. So I'm so happy that there's more attention being paid to how big of an issue this is because this affects the lives of so many people, like a billion, like at least a billion people on this planet. More attention needs to be paid to it. And I, there was another comment I want to address. Um, Nawab saying, you know, I'm from India and I openly support criticism, but this will vent will help propagate hate against Hindus. I don't know how many times one can emphasize that criticizing an ideology is not the same as hatred towards a person. If there is a conference that is about fighting white supremacists, do you think that that promotes help, propagates hate against white people? No. It's about calling out and in raising awareness about a caustic, toxic ideology that is harmful to everyone. That's not that's not essentializing it to any group of people. I mean, Nawab should get that himself. Doesn't he just accuse uh, these people to be Islamist or left-wing bigots? Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't somebody say like? Um, you know, criticism is fine, but what you're saying is helping propagate hate against Muslims and left-leaning people. Like, if that, if you think criticize, if conferences like this are propagating hate against an entire group of people, then what you accuse these people of is going to propagate hate against Muslims and left-leaning people. Then everybody should just shut the hell up, I guess, right? Because you might be propagating hate. Like, yeah. Anyways, what we. I don't, I don't, I think this is important nuance from random Buddhist guy as well, because we're not trying to like, we're not trying to say like, there's only two group of people, two groups of Hindu in it. Like it's not like Hindutva versus other Hindus and there's nothing. And the Hindutva is bigot and Hindus are not bigots. Like we're not, that's a very simplistic way of looking at the entirety of India, which is a lot more complicated than that. So I think like random Buddhist guys um, notion here to is, uh, comment here is actually important for people to um, recognize. Like, we shouldn't be generalizing. Do you want to read that, maybe? Yeah, random Buddhist guy is saying, it's necessary to differentiate Hindu bigots from actual Hindutva. Some mm. Hindu bigots are anti-Hindutva because of Hindutva's progressive factions. That's true. Yeah. Um, yes, there's... So, like, it's important to be against Hindutva for the right reasons, okay? Because some Hindus are against Hindutva because Hindutva seems to at least suggest, I don't know how that works in practice, um, we, have, we hear com conflicting reports, to be anti the caste system, right? So again, we keep criticizing, like we, we're not gonna deny 
reality, like if Hendutva claims to be against castes, then we're going to mention that. We criticize Hendutva for other reasons, right? Uh, and if there are Hindus out there who, who are against Hendutva for it taking a position against the caste system, well, I mean, that's not a good reason to be against Hendutva, right? So we're not going to say, oh, if you're a Hindu, yeah, we should be, we should be, it's a very fair point. We shouldn't be like, we shouldn't be celebrating every time a Hindu is like, yeah, Hendutva is bad. We should be asking like, okay, what, that's, that seems to be based. But can you explain to us why you think Hindutva is bad? Like, yeah, we, I think it's important to clarify it, the the reasons why they're against Hindutva because there, there are bad reasons to be against Hindutva. Very but good I point. Don't, I don't. Okay, I know that maybe the ideology is anti-caste, but I one of these a lot of the organizers were specifically targeted with the most derisive anti-caste slurs that you can like produce, right? Yeah. So that's maybe that's part of the ideology, but the practice of these people who are so whipped up into fury over this, right. they're not they're not practicing their ideology. <laughs> that's exactly you know, this you bring is, up a you bring up a very good point, and that's why I said I don't know how that looks that doesn't seem to be work, you know, we don't see that in practice. Like the people who seem to be Hindutva, you know, or they throw that out the window real quick. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I was trying to say. But that's a very good point. You were going to say something? I know I get really, like, riled up about these things. And it's definitely because it. of like, what we've gone through and continue to go through because of um, Hindutva supporters, just the abuse we face. Like, I don't even like to talk about it that much because it was so horrible. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> And I, I want to talk about it because more people need to be aware of how bad it is. It's 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 the most hateful like group of like crazies I've ever seen. It's oh uh, yeah. yeah and, be careful. Be careful with that because you two might think we're saying. But no. But I like I like this side of you, Sus. Don't don't shy away from it. This is very. Yeah, I I love it. Don't. This is good. It's, you're, you're, it's very passionate. Um, Zakuru is saying, saying this again, Hindutva's quote-unquote progressive factions are only to gather enough numbers to impose their will. They're as stone age as ever. Actually, this yeah, is very like important. Yeah, there are like Muslims who are like, I support Hindutva, and they're like, see, I have a Muslim friend, and they're like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, like, Hindutva's, anti-caste claim again i don't know i i don't i don't claim that they're anti-caste in practice but the anti-claim and anti-caste claim is because they're so anti-muslim their bigotry against muslims is so strong that they want to unite all hindus like let's forget our caste differences and all get united and be against muslims together so that's the whole point of uniting hindus right um, and also, you know, when it comes to part people me, with Muslim, yeah, go, on. go ahead. No, part of the, you know, yeah, they do have like token Muslims to show, but like, look at, look at, we have Muslims to support us. But also, some of that people with Muslim background that they want to highlight that they are pro Hindutva is because they have become hindutvatized you know what i mean like basically hindutva is very different from hinduism because hinduism is very rooted in 
one's ethnic heritage, but Hindutva is like a value system that you could adapt and accept. You know, like you're you could become you could become your national your national identity. You you will accept this identity. You could you could change your identity. You could accept our ways and our values, and you could be part of us to some extent. You know, it, it it's it's a little bit closer to Islam and Christianity, especially Islam to that aspect than traditional Hinduism. It's a more it's a political. It's very Islamish. You know what I mean? Like you could accept this new identity, you could convert, and it's very political. So it has like Hindu symbolism, but with Islamic tactics. It's kind of like that. That's how I see it sometimes. I know it's not that accurate. It's simplifying it, but it just comes off across to me like that. But go ahead. Um, random Buddhist guy is saying not all Hindutva. It's a yeah. very complex topic. There yeah. are some genuine anti-caste progressive factions. It's not some insidious conspiracy against Muslims. Okay, but the contention, I, the main contention I have with this, and I will grant that there is nuance, is that there is not enough effort being made to rein in the violence and vitriol. Where yes. is the effort to stop this and call this out? It probably exists, but we don't see enough of it. Okay, broadly, the worst aspects of this are gaining the most power and momentum. That's the problem. Um, and right. just to be honest, like, there's a large part of me that didn't even want to talk about it. Because I'm, hmm. like, probably going to be hit with it all over again. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know this is tough to go. Guys, by the way, I have seen how much of a difference it, you know, I'm not trying to be a, you know, white knight and be like, oh, look at me. I'm a defender of women and stuff like that. This is, this is like true. Okay. I have witnessed what a different experience you get if you're a woman activist than a male activist, like the level of harassment and abuse and the disgusting nature of the nature of the abuse that you get exposed to you know when you know when islamists or hindutva come after you like susanna's experience of this abuse that is very different from my experience of this abuse. again i'm not trying to be like oh yes woman you know i'm alpha male defending like i'm not trying to do that this is actually objectively true like you you know you know when when your fellow activist when your partner is a woman you can see the difference quite clearly um so i'm yeah you guys it's it's really hard to be a, a female activist when you're dealing with stuff like this um by the way random guy random guy mentioned something zakuru by the way i i like the fact that we get, our live chat is full of people uh, either in or from india so we're getting so much you know different takes like for example random guy said said this but Zakuru is now saying something um you know that might contradict that uh, which i would read because hindutva want uh, zakuru is saying hindutva want to recruit dalits and backward uh back i don't i don't want to say backward like maybe lower caste as canon father is that how you say it in riots mm -hmm. against muslim christians aside of that they're of little use so this seems to contradict what random buddhist guy was saying 
And I think like you, you should probably be able to ex find examples of both. And another thing that you have to take into account is when it comes to the evolution of ideologies, sometimes um, th th a certain, you know, it could be true that the people who are advocating for certain ways of look, uh, thinking about things or certain values, they genuinely mean it. But the reason why that value keeps increasing or work is because it makes strategically it works. So these these two claims could be both true at the same time, right? Like if I say they're doing this because it has this strategic value, it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't believe they don't have those values, right? Because unintentionally, like when it comes to religions evolving or ideologies evolving, it's not like th these people, um, their intentions has been the strategic value of that um, of that ideology. It might have been just just like mutations in evolution that they just happen by random and then they spread because they are working strategically or because they have utility. Ideologies work in the same way some sometimes. So it's not like intentionally these ideologies have been picked because they have strategic values. They were picked. But now they're spreading because they have strategic value. So both of these could be true at the same time. I don't, does that make sense, Suze? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, do you want you do you want to say anything? Cool about, guys saying, I how do you know this difference can be attributed to Susie's gender? I literally want to break glass right now. I'm so livid. Yes, I do fucking know it can be attributed to my gender when I'm being sent fucking photos of me being raped in the ass. Yeah, that was very fair point. Doesn't make more clear than that. All right. All right. Yeah, let me. Are you okay? I'll be okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Do you want to take some time before we go to the next news? Yeah, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. All right, all right. I'm just gonna spend some time with the live chat for a few minutes. No, that was like, guys, you have no idea how bad this has been. You have no idea the messages that she gets. It's really, yeah, it's, it's not, it's really, it's really bad. Yeah, she yeah she's saying damn she's pissed guys like yeah she has you have no idea like we can't even we we can't even say some of the things that these people say I mean she no no I'm I feel bad this is a very guys you have no idea how much Susie goes through and this is a very th thankless job like what she's doing you know when she's here like let her know that you guys appreciate her work because she does so much. And she goes through so much, way more than I do for Atheist Republic, okay? So I appreciate all of you who are like, tell her that, you know, she's doing, she does need the encouragement because, you know, as much as love she, you guys show her, you have no idea the volume of the attacks and the accusations and the hate that she has to go through. Like with the, the messages of support that she gets and the encouragements are like a fraction of all the hate 
and like she's doing this with you know no reward like she gets like she's doing this because she believes in it and all you know what she, her reward is mostly hate and images you know pornographic images of her being sent to her and threats you know real explicit threats against her promises of retaliation it's it gets scary and there are certain things that i can't even say that you know because i can't say because there's it might you know i'm not even going to tell you what but there are certain other things that happens that makes life really miserable for people and then she, and then she continues like the whole po point of all these attacks and all these threats and some other things that i can't even mention is to discourage you and to make you stop right and then after you go through all of that then deciding to continue i mean it takes a lot like because and the, the idea is like well if you give up after all of this because you're getting nothing out of it and if you give up then all of the all of the efforts of hendutva to make you stop worked right so you don't want to encourage you don't want to encourage any of that you you know you don't want them you don't want them to win but you have to understand it's not easy because a lot of people do quit. A lot of people do decide to just stop because what's the point? Like, you know, you're not getting anything. It's not helping her personally. And she's putting so much effort. What is she getting out of nothing? She's doing it only because she cares. And for every message of support she gets, she gets like a hundred, you know, hateful messages and threats. You know, you should, you don't even get the acknowledgement of like doing something that is valuable. So you you get demotivated. You're like, why am I even doing this, right? So again, I, I really I'm really grateful for the people who actually show her love, show her encouragement, and celebrate. Oh hey, hey, hi, <laughs> hi. I don't know. Um, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. Can you tap the microphone? I want to see if you're. Yeah, it's good. Are you sure you want to go to Nexus? You good? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just needed to be like, whoo, my heart rate is yeah, yeah. up. But we good. Yeah, we good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can we clap for the I Nexus? like I like Dark Susie a lot. <laughs> Blank name. You have no idea how dark it gets. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for the supportive messages in live chat. Because if, even if we don't highlight every messages of support in live chat, we do notice them, okay? So it does mean I, I, so much. It really it does. does mean a lot. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um All right. Can we clap for the next news? Yes, this is great news. Okay. Next news. Next news, wrongfully fired gay teacher wins lawsuit against Catholic school. Yay. In October 2014, Lonnie Billard announced online that he and his partner were getting married. Shortly thereafter, Mr. Billard, a substitute teacher at Charlotte Catholic High School, was terminated from his position. In January 2017, Billard filed suit against his school and the local Catholic diocese. According to the suit, he was fired on Christmas Day in 2014. The, ch the church commented, stating that allowing Billard to keep his post would be legitimizing that relationship. 
In 2021, a U.S. District Court judge ruled in favor of Billard, now 73. The ruling found that the school violated the Civil Rights Act. The judge also insisted that a trial be held to determine the damages to be assessed to Billard. Billard spoke publicly about the ruling, stating that he felt, quote, a sense of relief and vindication, and that he, quote, did nothing wrong by being a gay man. The church responded to a local newspaper, and, and they claimed that, quote, the law should not compel religious schools to employ teachers who publicly contradict their teachings. Like, <laughs> I love his, I love his statement, Your Honor. I did nothing wrong by being a gay man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wasn't in the court. That was afterwards in celebration. I know, but I, I do know, like that like, idea. I like that. Uh, like my, I don't think being gay is bad. <laughs> I don't think I should be fired. Like, like it's so simple. Like, it's so you know, true. It, <laughs> like, like, I think I should be allowed to be gay. <laughs> How does this still happen? Like, by the way, remember how I'm glad that because this was of like religious a... freedom. Oh my god, yeah, religious freedom to be bigot. Um, I like that this was like, you know, because sometimes it's a he says he says she said situation where somebody we don't know what the evidence is for like somebody being let go. Was it actually because of? But this was we have you know this went to court and the person you know, one, so we have, like, we're free to be less skeptical about this so we can celebrate this without having to be worried about being wrong about what actually happened. So, yay, this is like full-on celebration without holding it back. I hope this sets a, does this set a precedent? Does, is this setting a precedent? Um, I'm not a lawyer, but I think it does. Well, actually, mm. um, I'm not sure what, um, it was a U.S. district judge. Okay, I'm, I don't know to what extent that applies a precedent um, federally, to be honest. Um, but what was really interesting was that they won this under the precedent of it being a sex discrimination lawsuit um, under oh, Title IX nice. of the Civil Rights Act. So they're saying um, you are, it's not basis of discrimination based on him being gay, but it's discrimination because you're discriminating against him because he's a man doing non-normative um, behavior for his sex, which is like the whole premise of Title IX. Is, um, Wait, yeah. what level of a court was this? Like city, state, how high it was it? It was a U.S. district judge. Okay, so the reason, I don't know how high we could take stuff like this, but the reason why I like this is that it was based on sex and not based on, you said it's based on sex, not based on sexual orientation, right? Mm -hmm. So the way that works, if more of this, if more, we have more precedent like this, it would be fantastic because the way this works is like, we don't have anything in the constitution that makes discrimination based on sexual orientation, like, you know, against us law, but we do have the uh, discrimination based on sex to be, un, you know, un, unconstitutional, right? Like in the United States. And if you could argue that, discriminating against people based on sexual orientation is in effect discriminating against them based on sex. Because, and the way that argument works is that you are technically discriminating against them again, based on their sex. Because let's say, for example, if a woman 
if a man is married to a woman or if a man wants to be with women um and you they don't get fired for that uh because of the you know because of who they're with because they're with a woman but uh sorry because of uh, and but if a man but if a woman wants to be with a woman and they get fired for that so that is discrimination based on sex not just sexual orientation right do you get what i mean like for example let's say you have an employee and she is married to a man and she's not going to get fired for that but if a man is married to a man and and he gets fired for that then the reason why he's being fired is because he's a man not a woman so it is technically discrimination based on sexual orientation in effect is discrimination based on sex which is already illegal so you don't if you could argue that then you don't need new laws you don't even need new laws to make discrimination based on sexual orientation illegal the already existing laws would suffice and if they do suffice and if that becomes more and more acceptable based on more judges and becomes more precedent this will mean that even the constitution of the united states as a whole will make make it illegal to discriminate based on sexual orientation so this would be if this is if this is an argument that works then th this would like make you know this would be such a powerful weapon against ex uh, sexual orientation discrimination in the united states does that make sense yeah, so I answered our questions. Um, the Fed United States district courts are part of the federal judiciary. Judiciary, So I believe this can be used as precedent. Um, some of the details of this case were really interesting. So they, the school tried, the defendants tried to claim that by posting a photo with him and his partner saying, like, we're going to get married, that that was engaging in advocacy that went against the Catholic church's beliefs, um, mm -hmm. which I think is such BS and speaks to the level of control that <laughs> the Catholic church <laughs> or the Catholicism broadly wants inside an individual's private life. Right. Um, and so the judge at hand ruled that the school's action didn't fit into the exemptions to labor law that give religious institutions leeway to require certain employees to adhere to religious teachings, nor was the school's action protected by constitu constitutional rights to religious freedom. And here's why. Plaintiff is a lay employee who comes onto the campus of a religious school for the limited purpose of teaching secular classes with no mandate to inculcate students with Catholic teachings. So they're saying, cause he was a drama and English teacher. And then later he was a substitute earlier. He worked at the school for many years. He was even given a teacher of the year award at one point. Um, but they're wow. saying he's not actually teaching religious classes, so he has no charge to um, advocate for your beliefs, basically. Yeah. And this is interesting to me. I don't, I didn't find information about this in the articles that I was reading, but oftentimes Catholic schools will have like morality clauses and provisions that hmm. um, – is often how that extends to teachers who are not explicitly religious teachers, um, re religion teachers. So I'm not sure to what extent that was the case here. Um, okay. But uh, I believe they possibly have the option to appeal. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, because they, they do appeal. It's, it might be a good thing because it might set a precedent in a higher court. 
well, except I'm scared of the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. True, true. Yeah, the current Supreme Court. We don't yeah, the diocese <laughs> released a statement. Thank you, to Trump, for screwing United States for the next couple of decades. Amazing. But go ahead. Um, basically, the diocese released a statement saying that it disagreed with the ruling it was considering how to proceed. Right. right. So that might be an um, option that's available to them. But the, the judge who presided over this decision said that they should have a, um, a whole separate processes to determine damages that he's owed, which is very a very strong statement. They're saying not only were you were wrongfully fired, but they actually owe you damages and attorney's fees. Ooh, wow. I do want to highlight this question. Because I have very passionate views about it, Zakuru is saying, mm. in all in all honest honesty, the LGBT community should start their own schools. Why rely on Christian schools that don't respect them? I so much disagree with this. So 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 much. Well, I so hope, that's illegal. Yes. Well, I mean, even if it was like even even if the suggestion was, why do you go to Christian schools anyways? Right. I mean, ignoring the fact that it's hard. For people to just go wherever they want, you know, it's not like that easy. Like life options, life options is not as simple as make a lot of people make it seem to be. However, even if it was, I hope more LGBT people get to. I'm not saying they should. I'm not saying because again, like I said, making options, you know, not it's not like the world works that like everything is available to you and you have to just pick and choose. Life is not that simple. But even if it was. I hope I I hope it ends up that more LGBT people go to Christian schools and challenge their bigoted ways. You know, this is a fight that I want LGBT, the LGBT community to take to Christian schools so that these these you know unjust practices get challenged and we set more precedents against you know uh, discriminatory practices. Like you don't want to like. You don't want to run away. Like, you don't want people like, oh, here's discrimination. Or like, oh, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else then, I guess. No. Like, not, not only stand your ground, bring your buddies. Bring more LGBT people to Christian schools. I mean, like, you can't, you can't do this. This is not okay. You're not allowed to discriminate against us. I don't care you're a Christian school. This is not okay in the United States. This is not allowed. This is against the law. And if it's not against the law, we're going to make it against the law. You're, you're, you should you should be operating based on these countries' new values. You can't just stick stay in the dark ages. You give me like, oh, it's a Christian school, so let them do whatever they want. We go somewhere else. No, you don't. No, you you don't get to do that. We're gonna take this whole thing down. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's illegal because that's an immutable characteristic, and you're not allowed to like. Whereas, a religion is obviously a belief. So that's where the distinction comes in. So like I have familiarity doing my psychology practicum at um, a senior home that's ostensibly for LGBT seniors. However, they're not allowed to receive funding from the state or the federal government if they're only providing services to the LGBT community. So they're only allowed to reserve a certain number of spots in their senior home for LGBT people or people who have AIDS, et cetera. Um, and, uh, but they, what they are allowed to say is that they're explicitly LGBT welcoming and LGBT welcoming senior home. So of course there are many schools, at least where I'm from, that are explicitly LGBT welcoming, but they can't say that they're LGBT exclusive. Um, okay. Um, can we go to the next news? Yeah. 
Oh, real before quick, we, we. Yeah. Actually, I'll give my note to you in the private chat. Can I show what I'm trying to show on the screen? Like, am I allowed to no. show? For... No, 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 no. That's Are you a sure? Big no, no. Big okay. no, no. I talked to my lawyers <laughs> about this literally today. That's a that that would screw us. No. <laughs> okay, so I'm like, I I don't know how much commentary I could do on the next news because you talked to your lawyers and I haven't. So I'm just gonna. No, the next news <laughs> is the something totally different. Wait, I thought it was about. Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, so <laughs> I thought it was about this email that we got, and I'm like, <laughs> wait. So what can I share about the next news? Uh, just uh, so in the first link I provide, if you show that, try not to show the URL, or maybe just go to that URL and save the photo, mm -hmm. and then show oh. the second link that I provide. People are gonna wonder what was this? What was the? What was it that we can't talk about? <laughs> oh oh guys, wow, you're right. We can talk about it. Um, I, I will I will share it with you guys when we can talk about it. Trust me that okay. I will. Okay. Oh, okay. So I see what you shared. I see the owl and I see the Twitter. Both of these I can yes. share, right? For the next yes. Things, right? Well, I was thinking for the meme, like just save it. I don't think we should show the website. Well, I think we should show the website because it was so ridiculous. Why not show the website? Okay. Hey, send me the website because I don't have it. Okay, well, give me a second. Anyways. All right, all right. This next news is actually extremely ridiculous. It's so <laughs> ridiculous. Wait, open on the Twitter page. Oh, it's on the Twitter page? No, just open on that, and then I'm going to explain what's going on. Sorry, okay. guys, we couldn't talk about this in the pre-show because, um, because our my connection was out. It's not your yeah. fault, but uh, normally we would be more organized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so next news. Um, Atheist Republic hit with false DMCA takedown notice. So um, I believe it was last week we received an email from Twitter. Actually, I was using um, Twitter on uh, my phone and all of a sudden I got locked out of it. And I was like, oh, what the heck? And it directed me to go check our email for DMCA takedown notice. It's like, that's really weird. And Basically, someone filed a copyright uh, claim against a meme of ours on Twitter, which is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. And copyright, um, guys, again, let me let me repeat what Susie just said: a copyright claim against a meme. Okay, but it gets more ridiculous. Continue, continue. Yeah. Um. So this was. Uh, completely incorrect. They didn't provide proper documentation that they were the copyright holder in any way. And um, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because we need to highlight how we really need connections at social media companies like Twitter. Why do we need that? Because to quote the notification I received from Twitter, quote, please note that repeated violations of this policy may result in suspension of your account. In order to avoid this, do not oppose additional material in violation of our copyright policy and immediately remove any material from your account of which you are not authorized to post. So like I said, repeated violations of this policy may result in full suspension. 
this is a huge problem because they, this is a similar situation with the YouTube copyright strikes where they can falsely accuse you and there's no consequence to them for falsely falsely accusing you, but all of the consequences fall on you who are falsely accused and you're put in a really horrible situation. We should, we should actually show how ridiculous this is before we, explain all of that because you're burying the lead okay i think you're mi- like you're missing the funny parts before we actually tell them what what the issue is okay let's let's give them the juicy bits first before you explain why we need their help okay so this is a copyright okay first i'm going to show you the meme okay and then you might still think maybe they're still justified and then the, i'm going to show you the link to the original work that shows them why they own this meme okay so this they we gotta so we got a warning from Twitter and multiple reports like this is going to get us in trouble. All right. So here's the meme. Okay. So this is the, <laughs> okay. No, it gets worse. It gets worse. Okay. So you look at this. So this is a meme of an owl being washed against his, apparently he's not very happy. He or she, I don't know. Um, and Gender the, the owl correctly getting washed <laughs> with a hose. Right, so it's like one of those. Like, this is actually a meme template that a lot of people use. This unhappy owl here. This meme template is being used to represent atheists being annoyed with, you know, the Bible, the Quran, the Vedas, or Guru. Like people telling the atheists, but the Bible says, the Quran says, the Vedas say, this Guru pastor says. So it's a very standard template. A lot of us have seen this template, and the messages on it gets. Uh, change the uh, uh, you know from time to time. So somebody says that they own this and they file a copyright claim. Somebody will be like, okay, okay, I see, I see that this is ridiculous. But the person that is filing this copyright claim, maybe they actually own this image, right? Maybe they're the photographer, right? Maybe they're a photographer. Like you could say, like, okay, but this meme template is being used by so many people, and um, that's that doesn't justify you you using it. And maybe, yes, maybe you could claim that this is not the original work because text has been added to it. And by text being added to it, that means that it files under fair use. You know, fair, you know, this will be protected under fair use. However, this becomes even more ridiculous. Okay, can I show the website that the person submitted as the original work? Yeah, I just posted okay. it in the as the third link. I have it. I have it already. I got it from the Oh, email. okay. Dang. Okay. So, guys. Here, so the person that claims that we filed the copyright, that we, we violated their copyright, in their application, they have to link to the original work, okay? So the original work that apparently we stole is, this is the link. It's the actual meme. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the meme. It's not the picture, <laughs> right? This is the link that was submitted. <laughs> the original work that the copyright owner, I use that word like loosely here, is the picture with the text on top of it. They're saying that's what we have stolen. <laughs> okay. Come and on, Twitter, man. <laughs> come, I mean, and and Twitter is taking that as real, and we get this, we get a warning. We get a warning with this threat that we could lose our account. This is what we're this there's this is what the, the person is not like, I'm the photographer. These people took my picture that I took. The person that is claiming that this is a copyright violation is like, 
oh, I own the picture with the text with the atheist and the Bible and the Korans and the Vida, Vida on top of that. I own that meme. That's what the claim here is. All right. And we got a strike for this. This is what we're getting strikes for. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like we could lose like a Twitter account with 135,000 followers, which by the way, guys, follow us on Twitter, Atheist I'm the Republic. The largest atheist Twitter account on the platform, I think. Yeah, because Twitter takes a strike like this seriously. Like somebody said, like this meme is mine. I put I took the image and I added the text to it, and now this is mine, and this is a Except they don't even demonstrate that. It's just I posted yeah. this on my website like eight months beforehand. That doesn't demonstrate shit. <laughs> that doesn't mean you the owner. That doesn't mean like you're that, copyright holder. Like Twitter will accept you as the owner of the copyright if you could just have a link to a website, to a page that has that picture on it. That's all it takes for Twitter. Like, oh, yeah, I see that you own this meme, dear sir. Let us, like, you know, put this entire Twitter account with this in at jeopardy because you provided a link with this meme on it amazing it's amazing wait can you go to the fourth <laughs> link that i put in the doc because i want to make an important point so the, the reason why we are once again putting the call out for contacts at twitter is because we suspect that this person is trying to falsely claim copyright ownership of our own content to then take us ah. down so oh I was digging through the website and I found this. This person posted one of our own Atheist Republic fan signs. Okay, so this is just a fan of ours who you can. Hey, by the way, guys, if you're a fan and you want, you know, to show your love, you can submit a fan sign on the website. So you know, someone here did that, and then so they're posting it on their own website, showing that they specifically engage and follow Atheist Republic content. So we're concerned that this is a tactic to try to falsely claim ownership of this content to then go back and take us down. Yeah. Um, Guys, like, I, I don't think I, I want you to understand what Susie is saying because, like, I think some of you don't understand what's going on. Like, ghost, I think Ghostman is saying some people just want to get mad. Like, this is not about getting mad. Like, this is obviously our picture. Like, you could see Atheist Republic on it. This is about somebody that wants to take our account down. And this is they're just loading our memes or pictures on this website and providing these links to Twitter as a way to be like, oh, our copyright has been violated. Like, this is like, they're trying to find a loophole on Twitter to take our Twitter account down. That's what's happening. And Twitter doesn't, we, we go to Twitter and we're like, guys, what are you doing? This is not a copyright violation. And there's nobody at Twitter that listens to us, right? That's why that's why Susie is like trying to bring this, like, guys, we need help. We need somebody at Twitter to actually pay attention because there's no human that you could talk to at Twitter to bring this, you know, you can see this is so obviously a tactic that is being used against us because people hate us or something. I guess I guess Ghost Bunny is right though in that aspect, but yeah. But go on, sorry, I keep interrupting you. Oh no, that was really that was just my thoughts on the um, on the issue. Um, yeah. I think if I remember correctly, we are coming yeah. up towards the end of the legal period of business days in which they have to provide further evidence. Mm -hmm. um, so it, this isn't completely resolved yet. Um, but hopefully this is um, we are uh, this is lifted from us because this is such BS. <laughs> yeah, it's um, and the thing is that like the this whole like the appealing. Pro first of all, Facebook doesn't even have an appealing process anymore, right? 
YouTube's appealing process is a joke. Like you appeal it and within seconds it's rejected. Like obviously nobody checked our appeal process, right? But we were attempting the YouTube appeal process again um, today actually. And Twitter, Twitter is like, you know, so you have to, you, you appeal it and then they have some time to come up. But the thing is that if they're successful at doing this multiple times before your appeal goes through, then you're risking your entire account. It's just, you know, if there if there's an if there's a big enough mob that knows how to take an advantage of the loopholes in YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, they can take giant accounts down. And the only way to fight that is to find people that work at Twitter, work at Facebook, and work at YouTube, so that we could talk to. Because most of these things happen automatically through algorithms without actually somebody looking at it. We need contact. So again, please, how can we contact? How could people reach you, Suze? Susanna at AtheistRepublic.com. That is yes. S-U-S-A-N-N-A at AtheistRepublic.com. Yes. Please, please, please email uh, Susanna. By the way, I thought there was something else. There's something else that was extremely ridiculous as well that we got an email for. I thought we we're talking about that. That is even more ridiculous and more well, insane. But uh, we can't share it because apparently our lawyer told us not to talk about that. But I want to. I really w- w- can't wait for the day that we could highlight that because, guys, people are coming for us. Governments, police, mob—they're coming for us, and we need help. So please reach out to us if you have any contacts. But yeah, go ahead. Um, what I will say um, is that if you are not yet on our newsletter, you should definitely get on our newsletter. Um, particularly if you want access to blasphemousart.com. Um, if you are in India, you may not be able to see that. Yeah. At some point, not yet. Yeah. Yes. So if you want to see art and be always be able to be in contact with us and know what's going on, please make sure to sign up for our newsletter. You can do Mm. that at atheistrepublic.com slash newsletter, link in the description, or on blasphemousart.com, link also. Let's just tell people blasphemousart.com. Guys, go to blasphemousart.com, blasphemousart.com, link in in the description, subscribe to our newsletter because you might lose access to us soon. So make sure you are on the newsletter. And again, as an incentive incentive for people to get on our newsletter, we give you free blasphemous art. Beautiful, gorgeous, sexy blasphemous art every single week. You're not going to regret being on our newsletter. Link in the description. Make sure you are on it. All right? Yeah. Yes. And, and guys, please, like the videos. Yes. Yeah. Please like this video. Like subscribe. Video. Yeah. Uh, when we cut the clip segments, if there's a good one, share it. Um, yeah, and thank you guys for all the support and um, yeah. being nice to me while I had a, a, a oh. little rage moment. Yes, Marcia uh, keeps telling me that I should have bring puppies, especially when you were being upset. She was telling me that I should have bring my puppies here. Um, I will, guys. I can't like just like go in the middle of the news and greet the puppies. I don't even know they're probably sleeping right now because I can't hear them anymore. But I will post my pictures and videos of my puppies on my personal Facebook account. So follow me on my personal Facebook account and I'll promise I will have puppy pictures, you know, me playing with my puppies. And I know they're growing and soon they will not be puppies anymore, but I will always refer to them as puppies because they're always they're your be babies, my, of course. My baby girls, my two baby yeah. girls. Yes. Um 
so follow me on Facebook and and you will see puppies. Um, link to my Facebook, personal Facebook account is also in the description. Everything you want is in the Facebook description of all these videos. Um, all right, guys, like this video, subscribe to this video, to, to our channel, um, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and most importantly, subscribe to our newsletter. Subscribe, subscribe to our newsletter. They can't take, you know, that's the only place where we will never be removed from, okay? Subscribe to our newsletter, link in the description. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for everyone being here.